this is one person inspiration where we explore the untold and overlooked stories behind success of students and alumni research. I'm Jennifer, and I'm Maisha. This podcast is generously supported by the Heart House Good Ideas Fund. Today's conversation is going to be really fun.、Um, Jennifer and I both worked with our next guest to create and host the Undergraduate Engineering Research Day, Unir 2019. Um, and that's actually the year Jennifer actually co-chaired the conference with our guest. So this is kind of like a mini UNERD reunion.、Uh, we're going to be having a conversation with the former Engineering Society president, UNERD 2019 co-chair, and current Masters of Applied Science and Mechanical Engineering student, Laura Berniaga. Laura is a legend in the U of T engineering or school community. She earned her undergraduate mechanical engineering degree, specializing in mechatronics and bioengineering, with a minor in the latter. She also completed a certificate in entrepreneurship, innovation, and small business. She was a matriculation subcommittee chair during Frosch Week 2008, and she's conducted research abroad at the University of Stuttgart. And she did her PEY co-op at Canavi Medical. Which is a medical device company focusing on providing image guidance technologies for minimally invasive cardiovascular procedures. Now, as a graduate student, she is co-chairing Biotech, a conference which connects students with opportunities in biotechnology and bioengineering. We hope to talk about all of this and so much more. Thank you so much for joining us today, Laura. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> so let's start right at the beginning. How did you end up in engineering? Yeah, it's actually quite an interesting story because I, first of all, am the only person in my family who does anything math or science related. So everybody else in my family is totally into the social sciences.、Um, so I had very little exposure to the world of engineering, of STEM overall. Let's put it that way. Um, and my plan, as I was kind of going through high school and from through middle school and things like that, was that I wanted to end up in in med in med school. I wanted to to be a doctor. And so, as to keep up with that plan,、uh, my high school was、uh, had a really interesting program where it allowed you to do a co-op at a hospital, where you basically got credits for high school. I wasn't paid for it, but basically half of the day、uh, I got to spend it working at a hospital with in the nurses' station and things like that, which was really really cool.、Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to spend a semester at St. Michael's Hospital in downtown Toronto, which at the time I thought was really cool because I was commuting with everyone. I felt like a real adult for the first time. At fifteen, sixteen, which is really exciting,、um, and I was working in the cardiology department,、um, and so I was sort of assisting the nurses when patients were coming in and things like that.、Um, and it was such an insightful experience, and I think particularly for the the department that I was in, and also the program that I did, St. Mike's did a really good job of trying to engage the students with the the, the work that they were doing.、Um, and as part of that program. Um, they asked us to shadow some people, various workers from from the the hospital, and they had to be outside of the department that I was working in.、Mm-hmm. Um, and that was basically the first time that I got introduced to research、um, because there I got to shadow one of the head research people from from the department, and I ended up having almost a one hour conversation with her just about the work that she was doing、um, and all that stuff. And I remember leaving really. Really intrigued by what this was, and just perplexed by the idea of asking a question that had never been asked before, and not knowing what the answer was going to be.、Um, that just seemed like a really interesting concept to me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one thing that I was able to pick up from that experience. But then the second thing that I picked up was that I did not want to be a doctor. <laughs> so <laughs> I was rolling in now somewhere before grade 12 when I'm supposed to be submitting my applications all of a sudden with the one life plan that I had just completely crushed and crumbled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was stuck kind of just questioning what my purpose is, what I should be doing in life, what my next step should be, how can I contribute with the things that I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to help people. It just felt mm-hmm. like being a doctor wasn't the way that I could do that. And so as I started rolling into uh, to grade 12, uh, my math teacher, I was doing a sort of advanced uh, placement, advanced, I think it was, yeah, advanced placement is what it was called, um, mm-hmm. math pr- curriculum. Um, and we got to spend one and a half years with my math teacher. And so a lot of students were super close with him. A lot of students came back even after they went for university. And I had the fortune to have one of his students who ended up doing engineering at U of T come and do just a little talk. Um, and my math teacher at the time, he knew that I was sort of clueless as to what direction I wanted to do. And he was like, yes. hey, this guy, he might be able to provide you some really interesting perspective just because you like math, you're really good at it, you love physics and you're really good at it. Like engineering seems like something that you would be able to do. Um, now, keep in mind that I had no idea what engineering was at the time. I still remember there was a sort of initiative that my high school did where they invited, I think it was York University, the engineering mm-hmm. program at York to come over to sort of do a presentation on engineering and things like that. Um, and the first activity that they asked us to do was they gave us a blank piece of paper and they told us to draw what we think an engineer would look like. And I think most people probably drew like, I don't know, a bridge or someone with a hard hat. And I vividly yes. remember I left my piece of paper blank because I, I had no idea where to even begin to say what an engineer would be. And so I had this conversation um, with this, this guy. He ended up being so kind. I kind of stayed connected with him after that. I was like, probably bothering him asking him questions (laughs) and things just because I became really interested in it Um, and then sort of that accumulated with my interest in research sort of opened my eyes to the idea of oh engineering is related to sort of problem solving Um, and so that's kind of what ended up making me apply to engineering in the first place but even then I think I kind of came into the program not really being sure if it's what I wanted to do Um, I had also applied to a sort of math and physics program at U of T and my thought process was if I get into engineering, it's a lot harder to switch from um, arts and science into engineering. So I might as well give engineering a try if I get in. And then if I don't like it, you know, I can always switch out to a different program. Yes. And then I started engineering and kind of realized, oh, this is where I was supposed to be the whole time. (laughs) So it was like kind of a very full circle story. Um, And I think kind of what ended up helping with my decision, particularly with regards to the specialization that I chose, which was mechanical engineering, um, was that the, the, it was, I think, the winter of, yeah, it was like after exam season in first year. Um, It was the, I think, 125th anniversary of the MIE department at Mm -hmm. U of T. And they had a talk basically where um, they invited professors to sort of talk about the research that they were doing and things like that. Um, And the idea behind it was to sort of highlight the work that was being done in the department in celebration of the anniversary. And that was the first time that I was introduced to the field of bioengineering. Um, mm-hmm. It was Professor Craig Simmons, who, funny enough, ended up being my capstone supervisor in fourth year. So very full circle story. <laughs> um, but that he gave a talk about the research that he was doing, which was on uh, heart valves and essentially children that are born with heart oh, valves. Oh, I've heard defect. this talk. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was, it's really interesting research. Yes. Um, 
And it's essentially for, for others, uh, it's the, for children who are born with heart valve defects right now, they have to get an implant, um, but the implant doesn't grow with the child. So the child has to continuously have surgeries throughout their lifetime. And the work that Professor Simmons is doing is to develop a material that would be able to grow with the child. So it would be mm -hmm. implanted when the child is born and then it can continuously grow with him. And it just felt like, I don't know, like the window shattered in front of my eyes. I was like, oh my goodness, this feels like the perfect mix of everything that I want to be doing. Um, bioengineering was such a booming field. There was so much research being done mm -hmm. in those areas. So I knew that research would be something that I'd be able to focus on. Um, it was very much problem solving and that was something else that I'd be able to do. But the most important thing was the idea behind bioengineering and I call it kind of engineering with purpose now. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that you end up helping so many people with the things that you do. So yeah, I think I had kind of a windy path up until I ended up where I needed to be. Um, but I think I was just really fortunate to sort of expose myself to a variety of different areas that kind of guided my path a little bit. <laughs> I think that's a great story. I You talked about the co-op program that you did in high school. And it's funny you should mention it because I actually also did the, co the, the two credit, four credit kind of co-op program mm -hmm. in high school. Yeah. I think you would have been a part of like the TDSB. I wasn't because like I a, was in York region, but okay, but enough. like a similar kind of where there's a yeah. two credit or four credit, and then um, you probably had it like slotted into your schedule, and then you took the bus, train, whatever, downtown. And so I also did when I was in high school in grade eleven. I took two credit co-op because I specifically wanted to work in healthcare, but I didn't know I would. I I really didn't. I don't think <laughs> I was as, you know, I didn't know I wanted to be at like a, a doctor or anything. I just wanted to kind of explore a potential pathway. Um, and I decided to work at a lab, like a biomedical engineering lab. And that's where I ended up meeting, um, and this was at SickKids. And I ended up meeting like a lot of um, engineers who were also doctors. And that's how I kind of made this like really interesting observation about how complementary the lives of biomedical engineers and bioengineers are to the lives of physicians and how essential they are to each other and how they kind of work at different resolutions to, to implement change in patient lives. Um, and like really one doesn't work without another. And that's really nice to Absolutely. see like, someone who, who shares that experience. Yeah, but I actually I have I'm never met someone the same who's this before. <laughs> Small world somehow. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Um, how did you, okay. So how does the mechanical engineering um, program work? Because I know after you do second year, there are a bunch of streams and you have to select a like two of them or one of them. And there's actually, it's very, it's kind of strict, right? So it's, it's difficult to switch, my understanding is. Yeah, a little bit. And I think for me, particularly kind of as I was exploring the different disciplines that were available in first year, um, I stayed with mechanical because I knew that bioengineering was one of the streams that I would be able to pick in third year. Um, and that was kind of the, my main interest at the end of the day. Like I think doing a mechanical engineering degree is kind of cool in itself just because it's very broad. So it's kind of known um, throughout the world and things like that. But I think the, the focus for me was through bioengineering. And so so the way that it works for, for MechEng students is that um, you essentially have the same first year as everybody else. Um, and then in second year, you're taking all the same courses as everybody. And then kind of as Meisha was mentioning, you end up picking uh, two of streams that you'd like to focus on. And I think there's five in total. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to name the other three because <laughs> I think I like very much focused on the two that I was interested in, um, which were bioengineering and mechatronics. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, and so you end up having to take a number of courses. Uh, funny enough, in third year, you're still taking the majority of your courses with everybody else. So it's right. not as specialized as you might think. Um, mm. And then by the time that you get into fourth year, you're, the majority of the courses that you're taking are technical electives. So to be honest, I think the streams are kind of a good guiding path. And I will say it definitely helped me in getting my minor, my bioengineering minor, just because yes. a lot of the courses aligned. Um, but I think there is a lot of freedom from that perspective um, in terms of kind of the courses that you can take. And the way that I've always talked about mechanical engineering is that years one through three felt a little bit like you were just given Lego pieces. Mm -hmm. But then in fourth year, you were shown the picture on the box and you got to all of a sudden know how to put those Lego pieces together. It felt like this really cool for like full circle moment of, oh, I've learned oh, wow. all these interesting concepts, these high level basic theories, differential equations, or like, you know, any concepts that we learned from other courses. And now all of a sudden I get to see them applied in very specific fields. Um, so I think that was kind of like the interesting part of it. And personally, I think um, I enjoyed having the streams as a way to sort of guide my decisions because mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people don't necessarily associate mechanical engineering with bioengineering. Mm -hmm. um, so it was nice to sort of be told, hey, this is a kind of a potential specialization that you could have within mechanical engineering. Um, but then I think as I was going through it, I realized the sort of freedom that I had. And by the time fourth year rolled around, I was basically fully taking the courses that I was interested in and that I wanted to take, um, which was really cool. So. Okay. What can you share with us maybe what kind of courses or what content you will be learning in the streams that like in bioengineering within mechanical engineering and what you won't be learning? Because I know there are lots of ways to pursue that in um, school or U of T engineering. And that's, I think that's so great. And it's really helpful to get that like insider perspective for our audience. Yeah, for sure. So I think from the courses that I ended up taking, it was an interesting mix of basically you were learning the pure biology or the pure physiology of the human body, but then you would be learning mathematical equations and you would essentially apply all the mathematical equations that you were learning, whatever the concepts may have been uh, on the human body. So all of a sudden you turned the human body into mathematical problems to some extent, um, mm -hmm. which I think was really, really interesting. So I think we started off in third year with taking more purely biology-based courses. So, um, and then kind of, we started to build our way up um, to, to sort of kind of start to combine, you know, both the engineering and the bio of, of the mm -hmm. two a little bit more. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you find it was, a, I guess, difficult for that transition? Because um, I think I also took, it was engineering biology. I think that was the intro, the intro course to yep. um, bioengineering. And it was Same mostly, yeah. And it was mostly, it was very, it was a, a lot of bio, like what you learn in class. But I found that how he structured his course and assignments and everything, he makes you think in, I guess, like engineering, you go in and solve this problem. So it's also very different because it's not solely just memorize these concepts like biology. Um, ultimately, all the assignments, you have to like apply some kind of problem solving skills. Would you say that's the same case with all the um, bioengineering course as well? I would say so. And I'd say mm -hmm. even for the courses that I took in the later half of my degree, it's even more, even more, or I guess less memorizing and more math to some extent. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, they're sort of introduced under the umbrella of 
biology to some extent, but um, time and time again, I've been told by professors uh, that you don't necessarily need to have a biology background to end up kind of pursuing bioengineering as a concept because you can sort of learn the biology of the systems that you're interested in. You can talk to mm. experts and things like that. Um, but then, you know, you the you the core of it is sort of the the engineering mindset that you mm-hmm. have, the problem solving mindset, the the ability to solve problems in a particular way, and things like that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd say it was kind of a challenge at the beginning, just because it had been so long since I've done memorizing to some extent. Um, and I think even in high school, I sort of tried to move away from courses like that. And mm-hmm. that was part of the reason why I really enjoyed engineering was that there was very little memorizing. It was more mm-hmm. so thinking. Um, you really had to apply the things that you knew rather than just regurgitate them. Um, and so it was a little bit of a challenge, but I think there was a course in fourth year that I took. Uh, it was fluids of biological systems. And the professor, he had absolutely no bio background whatsoever. And his research right now was purely bioengineering. So he was like a prime example. I think he did his research on airplanes or something like that. And then he ended up working in like the paper industry, just very different fields. But then he was sort of able to kind of, he got interested in uh, fluids was the thing that he was interested in. Um, And then he sort of started to find this niche in the bioengineering world. And he sort of started to pick up a little bit of the bio knowledge and then applied all the things that he had already known. So it kind of meshes really well to your point, Maisha, as well, right? That you, you know, there's such an interesting connection, I guess, between kind of the biology and the more so medical world and then kind of the engineering, like they really kind of mesh together to some Mm -hmm. extent. And I think um, there's a lot of crossover opportunities from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I was kind of curious. So you talk about, like you mentioned your minor in bioengineering and that ties in really well with the course options, but then you, you also did the certificate in, um, it's, it's three words. It's entrepreneurship, innovation, and small business. And that's actually not a super well-known certificate. I think generally the certificates are not well-known. So we really want to highlight that because these are great opportunities to kind of hone a skill um, but not be, you know, minors are not as super, like minors are very high investment, but certificates are not as much. So what drove the decision to do that? And like, how did you fit all that in, in addition to that minor? Actually, the reason why I did that certificate was because I wasn't able to get the business minor. So what ended up happening was that after my first year, um, second year MEX students end up getting uh, two electives. Um, and I think as I was looking through the list of electives, I was, first of all, very overwhelmed because I had never had to think about university courses. And all of a sudden, there were just so many choices for me to make. Um, and I think at that time, I was sort of interested in potentially starting my own company, pursuing my own business, things like that. So I was Mm-hmm. sort of started to look into the business minor um what ended up happening was I woke up late on the day of course registration <laughs> and I didn't make it into the two main courses I think it was GRE 300 and GRE 410 oh um, and I didn't yeah oh my yeah, god they're yeah. super popular so I, I didn't make it I think I was like 300 on the wait list I was like there's no way I'm getting into these courses um and as I was kind of scrolling through the other things the two courses that are necessary for the certificate sort of came up mm-hmm. um, and I was kind of interested in them so I decided to sort of pursue them and in my mind at the time I was going to be doing these two courses I think I was able to I think I was probably the last one to register in the GRE 420 course Um, so I got into that one and so at that point I had I guess three out of the five uh, courses for the the business minor Um, and as I sort of started pursuing them there were some super interesting concepts that I learned from there Um, but then the summer after my second year which I guess will 
probably get into, I'm providing you with a great transition here. Um, <laughs> I ended up doing uh, research and I sort of shifted my career a little bit more from the, into the bioengineering world and into the research world. Um, and then I just never ended up having the time in my schedule to fit the remaining two courses. And so in the end, it was because I was pursuing a minor that I wasn't able to finish that I got the certificate, which is kind of cool. Um, and to your point as well, I think a lot of people get so bogged down on doing a minor, but I think there's so many other opportunities for you to still get some sort of recognition for the courses that you're taking and for the work that you're doing through certificates mm. that are way less commitment. I think for the certificate that I did, it was only three courses, which I was able yes. to do all in second year, which was really awesome. And then I got a certificate out of it. Um, so I definitely encourage people as, you know, people think about kind of, and, and students in general, as they think about the, the courses that they want to take is to not knock off uh, certificates as well. So I think they're a really good opportunity to explore some other courses that you might not be able to otherwise. Um, so you spoke a little bit about your research experience, I think after second year. Do you, want to, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how that all began? Yeah, for sure. So essentially, um, the Center of International Experience at U of T um, provides various exchange opportunities. Um, the one that I ended up doing was a research-based exchange throughout the summer. Um, and so basically what I ended up doing was I spent three months at the University of Stuttgart in Germany uh, doing research. And my project was focused on lignin, uh, which is a biopolymer. It's a, a leftover polymer from when wood is turned into paper, and it's basically kind of the, the glue that holds wood together. Um, and right now, or well, at least at the time of my project, it was sort of being tossed away since it's kind of a complicated and difficult mm -hmm. to work with material. Mm -hmm. um, and so my project was to try to combine this uh, polymer with another biopolymer to make it more usable in the industry. The idea was that we wanted to create uh, a blend of some type of ratio of polymers, including lignin, um, that we would be able to make into a powder and then laser center, which is kind of basically you have like a bed of, of powder and then you like inverse 3D print, like yes. you use the laser to sort of like make a, a shape out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and what kind of drew me to this project was the fact that biopolymers are biocompatible. So there was a lot of opportunities with the polymers that we would be making to then have some sort of applications within the human body. Um, there are some other interesting applications. That's incredible. Too, I think. <laughs> yeah, there's some other interesting applications. I think it was um, the wood pieces for like uh, instruments and things like that. So there's some other applications yes. that I think my uh, my supervisor had in mind as we were working on it. But um, yeah, and so basically I ended up spending the summer kind of working on mixing various polymers, which uh, was a very interesting experience just because I was working with really big manufacturing machines mm -hmm. um, and things like that. I got to work with a lot of uh, machines that would be sort of categorizing uh characterizing, I guess, the, the properties of the material for us to be able to get uh, proper data on it and if it would be able to laser center properly, all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, funny enough, I got introduced to some concepts that I would end up learning in my third year um, in some of the courses that I took because um, I got exposed to viscosity. That was a really big component of what the work that we were doing and things like that. Um, and yeah, it was it was a really awesome opportunity, um, and I kind of find out found out about it by accident. Um, I was sort of mentioning this to to Jennifer and Maisha, but basically the summer after my first year. Um, I ended up going to a retreat with a couple of other people who were involved in various school things. 
Um, and one of the people who was there was uh, Shivani, who ended up being uh, or just coming back from her research exchange. She ended up doing a research exchange in London, I think it was where she was. And that was my first time meeting her. She had just come back from this, you know, three month long trip. And so I was just kind of randomly talking to her about it. And then it ended up working out really well for me that when I submitted mm-hmm. my application that I was able to get in and to sort of do the same thing just at a different university. So. Yeah, it was a really, really cool experience. And that was also my first time moving away from home um, because I've been living at home and commuting the whole time when I was an undergrad. Um, so it was yes. kind of an interesting experience to be in a different country, to be doing research, also trying to navigate living on my own the first time, all that stuff. So yeah, it was definitely mm-hmm. a really interesting summer. <laughs> yeah. Was there, um, did you have to like learn a new language there? Luckily, no, Um, especially in Stuttgart, a lot of people spoke English pretty well, Um, although I do have some funny stories of me wanting to set up a phone plan, and I walked into one of the phone stores, and I asked the lady if she spoke any English, and she replied no, and I said, okay, thank you, and I just walked out of the store. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) you have some of those stories that come up from from those types of experiences. That's so funny. (laughs) Um, but oh, I think good. something that that they did that was quite nice was that they did offer some German language courses while we were there. So we were able to take, I think we were doing only an hour a week. So it wasn't high commitment whatsoever. And I think I picked up some German as I was just living in the city, um, yeah. which actually inspired me to continue learning German after that. So I ended up taking some German language courses um, when I came back to U of T as well. Um, yes. Yeah. I remember you told me about this. You took some German language courses during mm-hmm. your PY. I did. Those are the only courses you took (laughs) during your PUI. I did. Yeah. I think most people try to take courses to further their degree. I was interested (laughs) in furthering my language abilities, which kind of worked out. I ended up taking the last uh, rendition of the course, I guess, during my master's right now. Um, So I sort of kind of closed that nicely with a little bow. Can't speak German very well, to be honest, but hopefully if I get the opportunity to go to Germany at some point again, I'll be able to at least set up my phone plan. <laughs> <laughs> we should have a German version of your album cover for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it would be like 1% that will understand. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I kid. Um, that's great. So Shivani, you mentioned Shivani, is she the first person who endorsed you for the role of engineering society president? She was the one who convinced me actually to run. Right. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I wasn't sure. I think she was the one who mentioned it to you, right? Mm -hmm. She was the president the year before me. So it's funny that we ended up meeting in first year, but then ended up growing a lot closer um, years later, just through her really wanting me to pursue Anschlag as something that I would Mm -hmm. end up doing. Can you tell us that story? Like how you came to be an Anschlag at that presidential level? Yeah, for sure. So I was involved in a number of extracurriculars throughout my undergrad degree. Um, I think the biggest thing for me when it came to my uh, extracurriculars in general was that I wanted to do things that I was just genuinely passionate about and interested in. I think especially in high school, I felt a lot of pressure to try to pursue the right extracurriculars that would end up making my resume look better or that would end up helping my application to university. Um, At the time, I was also a new immigrant. I had moved to Canada when I was in grade 10. So I didn't have a lot of perspective of, oh, you know, I should be doing things out of my own interest. And I definitely sort of switched that as I came into university. Um, So I had been been involved in a number of different initiatives that just sort of kind of sparked my interest. Um, And I remember Shivani who had reached out to me 
to say that she her term as president was wrapping up and she uh, said that she had overheard me mentioning that I was interested in some officer positions and she was like if you'd like to set up a coffee chat to talk that would be great uh, and my first reaction was I don't think I've ever told you I was interested in officer positions but okay I'm gonna roll with what you're saying and move <laughs> forward and pretend I said that and so I was like yeah sure let's do it and I think at the time I was very much in a sort of like exploratory mode of you know I'm starting to get thinking about my fourth year um, and I was trying to think about kind of the last hurrah, last type of impact that I would have in the community before I leave. Um, and so I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll entertain her, let's say, I'll, I'll set up this coffee chat and we can talk about it. And we ended up having a really, really good conversation on it. Um, she did it really nicely where we were talking about each uh, vice president and kind of their portfolio, the things that they were focused on and all that stuff. And then at the very end, she was like, oh, okay, so what about president? And I literally laughed in her face. I was <laughs> like, there's no way I'm applying for this role. And she was like, well, but why? And we kind of started going back and forth. And she started to explain to me a little bit more about what the president role actually entails, what you actually end up doing. Um, and I think the biggest thing that kind of struck a chord with me was just the type of impact that you can have on the students. Um, because I think from a lot of perspectives, there are things that we as students encounter that kind of upset us or things that we would like to change. And a lot of the times we feel as if we don't have the power or the necessary voice to speak up against them. And it felt as if with this role, I'd be able to represent my own frustrations and the ones of the students a little bit better since I would be having conversations directly with members of the faculty, directly mm -hmm. with the student body. Um, and I would be getting exposure to a variety of different areas of the school community. And so as we were sort of talking about it, I remember just being really kind of, okay, this is like maybe something that I would like to do. And then I came home and basically immediately started reading all the engineering society bylaws to <laughs> look into all the things. And I was like, okay, I think this is something that I really want to pursue. Um, at the time too, I was kind of discussing as well, getting involved as a vice chair for um, Frosh Week, mm -hmm. um, just because that was something, Frosh Week was something that played such a huge role in my undergraduate experience. And I always wanted to give back. Um, and so I was kind of going back and forth between, okay, do I go for the vice chair position or do I apply for president, a position that I have no confirmation that I'm going to get, like I might end up running and not winning. Right. Um, whereas for the vice chair position at the time, I was sort of in the talks with the, the chair, uh, the orientation chair, and he was like, if you would like to, you, I would love to have you as part of our team. Um, and I think it was kind of a very definitive moment for me. I like very much look back on at that moment when I made the decision to run for president instead of uh, to sort of stay where it was kind of comfortable for me. Yes. Um, just because I think it very much pushed the limits of what I defined as my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it kind of encouraged me to continue to aim higher and higher with the things that I would have wanted to do. Um, and so I think because for me, at least I kind of had a mental idea of, you know, when I'm in first year, this is where I'd like to see myself be in fourth year. And I never would have dreamed that I would have <laughs> ever ended up in like the president role. Honestly, I think I was just seeing myself getting involved more so with Frosh Week um, okay. at a smaller level, probably like had leaders um, or <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. potentially <laughs> something like that. Yeah. And then I think I was involved with Met Club from an yes. early stage, which basically represents the mechanical engineering students. So I was like, maybe, you know, I'll run for like a chair position there, which are all incredible opportunities. Yes. But I think as I was starting to think about the president role for Enchstock, it just made me dream a little bigger, aim a mm -hmm. little higher type of mentality. 
Um, yes. And I think it's something that I had a friend who very much guided me through that decision and very much encouraged me at the time to sort of try to pursue my ambitions a little bit more um, because he felt as if, you know, I would be able to do a really good job in that role, even if I didn't think so at the time. Um, and I'm very much glad he did. Even before I ended up finding out I won, just the experience of going through sort of putting together a platform, kind of even just sitting down with myself and defining, okay, where are the areas where school is lacking? How can I help? Where is there a conversation that needs to continue to be had? Right. All this type of stuff. Um, and at the time, particularly, there was a really interesting conversation that was coming up because the year that I was running, was the year that the government had introduced the student choice initiative which oh, essentially see. allowed students to opt out of non-essential services um, and so it was kind of a really interesting conversation to have for NSOC of how do we market the services that we have to offer in a way that tells students that NSOC is important and that they shouldn't opt out of it that NSOC has so much to offer and it just felt like a really interesting conversation as someone who didn't know a lot about NSOC as I was going through kind of my earlier years in school um, to try to see how can we do a better job of doing this. So I think there was just a lot of kind of ideas that sort of came to mind. And, and in the end, um, you know, I felt as if I, I had at least something to say. Um, and I think at that point, especially during the debate that we had before the, the voting period was starting, it was just a really great opportunity for me to sort of express the things that I would want to focus on if I were to come into the role, thinking that this will be heard by other people. And then hopefully, even if I don't end up in the role, someone else can listen to the things that I said as just, you know, a complaint to some extent from the student or not necessarily a complaint, just areas of improvement for the community. And hopefully that's something that we can as a whole um, kind of improve and work on. Right. So, yeah. Like make the- visible. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, I ended up winning, to my surprise. Um, <laughs> people still to this day, it. they laugh at me when they're like, you didn't think you would win. I was like, I, I really didn't. <laughs> kind of came in being mentally prepared to lose. Um, yeah, and I'm so forever grateful to have been voted into this position because I think it gave me exposure to the school community in a way that I had never had before. I th- I'd say I learned more about school as a whole um, in my fourth year than I did in the other four years that I spent at school. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really, really incredible opportunity that connected me to people that I'm still extremely close with today and just sort of opened doors for me in ways that I never thought was possible. So yeah. Well, I think you spoke about like two, there's somehow two different type of opportunity. And I think a lot of students will see it as the first type where it seems you have to kind of start at, you know, a club and you just join and you kind of like move up your way. And then, you know, at your final year, you might apply to like a chair or something at the club. But there's another type of opportunity where you just see it. It seems so like beyond your reach. Mm -hmm. But when you have that purpose and you know you want that, you know why you're doing that. Right. A lot of times it just seems outrageous. Yeah. (laughs) In a lot of ways. Yeah. That was a hundred percent me when when Shivani was talking to me about it. I never would have envisioned myself in it, nor did I dream of getting there one day. Um, and I think it's it is pretty common I think for people to sort of find their lane Um, and that was the funny thing about me was that I think just through the various things that I got involved in in undergrad I mean I was part of Frosh Week I was part of Met Club so I already had 
you know, kind of the super loud kind of (laughs) yay school type of mentality. And then from the other hand is like, oh, let's try to build social events. Let's try to engage the students through their academics. Um, And then on the other hand, I was in school nights. I was involved in like theater. Like I just kind of was all over the spectrum. So for me, there was no cohesive path forward, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I still had not imagined kind of taking all the experiences that I had built up until then and then putting them into applying for president. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, something that I I really wish I had kind of heard earlier on is that every single thing that you end up doing kind of throughout your degree throughout any extracurriculars that you do ends up having a very positive impact on you you end up learning something from it and then that basically builds your skill set to a level that you might not realize at some point and that was definitely me I had learned so much from the experiences that I had already had um, but I hadn't kind of connected the dots that all these small things had already sort of started to prepare me for various things like for example with school night when I had to I was cast so I had to perform in front of like 500 people for five yes. nights in a row, right? So, or four nights in a row. Right. <laughs> so me speaking in front of really big audiences when I was asked to give speeches as NSOC president was no big deal because I had so much previous experience doing things like that. Mm-hmm. Or even just like interactions with faculty. I had been exposed to a lot of that while I was in Met Club because I had connections with various MIE faculty members. Um, even through UNERD, I got to meet a couple of other people. So kind of interacting with faculty didn't seem so daunting anymore. But, mm-hmm. you know, I hadn't thought of it from that perspective of, oh, the things that I'm kind of learning from my extracurriculars are transferable skills. Um, and I think it's kind of really helpful for people to sort of think a little bigger from from the things that they're learning and to aim a little bit higher you know, kind of stretch the comfort zone of the things that you think you can get involved in a little bit more and to definitely explore beyond the things that you know. Because I think even Mm -hmm. for myself, I was Mm -hmm. sort of a little bit set in the things that I kind of had already gotten involved with. And I was like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I know what I like. And then there comes NSHLOC, which is something that I definitely liked, but I had no idea had I not gotten involved with it. So yeah, I think that's something that I definitely wish I probably would have heard a little bit sooner and for students to sort of think about you know, as you go through your degree to explore beyond the things that you already know. Yeah, for sure. I think this is actually my experience with UNERN too, because I think that year when I applied, I just saw Corey's email. I have no idea what UNERN was. Um, I didn't even like join the conference as a student. I was not on the planning committee. And I remember I applied and I just, I put down co-chair which <laughs> it was such a bold move. <laughs> and then after joining the team and seeing how a lot of members already had like had experience before who was on the year, you know, previous to me. So I felt like everything was just so new to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that was also the year where Laura was also, you know, the other co-chair. Yes. Yes. And- you two led it together. I was going to ask you, Jennifer. Yeah. <laughs> so when you got the email or I think Corey, Corey Hansen, by the way, of um, first year, she was up in the first year office at the time, um, mm-hmm. would have sent an email to both of you and CC'd both of you. How did you feel when you saw <laughs> it was, you know, the NSOC president and the new co-chairing UNERD 2019? Because that can feel really daunting, especially when you don't know anybody and just, you just, so we tend to identify people by their title. And then we have like this implicit judgment. Yeah, no, for sure. When I saw like Laura's name, I immediately was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing to this role. And I'm working with the president. And I just, (laughs) this like amount of pressure that just got onto me. And I remember we have to have the first initial meeting. Mm -hmm. um, And then we were all just sitting there. And then Laura came in uh, a little late because she 
come off from her PUI and she mm-hmm. just came off. She's like, oh yeah, I was on my PUI. I was like doing all of those crazy stuff. And I'm just sitting there like, oh my gosh, she's a president. She has, you know, she, she's like a working woman already. And I'm just sitting here like, don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> but that was definitely a little intimidating at the beginning, you know, not talking to Laura and just knowing her from her title, knowing her from her image, um, her photo. But but yeah, after getting to know Nora and after we worked together, it was, um, you know, like Laura is, is, is actually a very friendly person. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the, yeah. the thing that I think one of the biggest downsides I'd say when it comes to getting the the president role was just the fact that it seems like such an intimidating thing even for myself right like again I can remind you I was laughing in Shivani's face when she was suggesting the role because I was like this is such a daunting thing it's like oh being the president like what does that even mean but at the end of the day it is just kind of students that are trying to represent the student community and things like that and I think there's always kind of a person behind the image or behind the title and and things like that and I think it it gets so easy to sort of get wrapped up in like oh you know looking up to these people that are involved in these other positions and how did they get there or like it just seems like you know even from your perspective Jennifer like oh she must have her life so together she's like you know working (laughs) and being president like co-chairing this conference like probably running to her German course in the meantime like so many <laughs> things happening at once and in the meantime I was like struggling to get on the bus and all this type of stuff so I think like there's always this perception of like people have their 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 stuff together when in like in reality it's like very much not the case and I think it's sort of important to add a little bit more like humanity to a lot of this stuff and I feel like even from the perspective of this podcast it's quite interesting to sort of peel back the layers of like the people that you might know or you might know of and then all of a sudden you know you can hear a little bit more about their story and the things that they Mm -hmm. did and how maybe their path wasn't as straightforward as you might have thought (laughs) oh peel back the layers would have been a great alternative name for the podcast (laughs) (laughs) now that you mention it should have have been consulted on marketing (laughs) (laughs) oh for sure okay so now since we're talking on the topic of you nerd uh, I'm just a little curious about you and ask Moesha too, if you want to speak about it after on why you, I guess, decide to get involved with UNERD. So I ended up, the first year that I got involved with UNERD was in 2018. Um, and it was kind of same as you, Jennifer, um, although I think you aspired a lot higher than me earlier on, which is awesome. So it was an email that I think I received from Corey at the time. Um, and I was on my PUI. I was looking for things to kind of get involved in because I felt as if, you know, I'm working a nine to five now. I have time to do other things that mm-hmm. I might not have had otherwise during the school year. Um, and I saw this opportunity. And I think what really drew me to it was that I had done a lot of event planning Um, from my second and my third year just the experiences that I ended up getting involved in there was a lot of event planning associated with it and I really really enjoyed it Um, but something that I felt I didn't get exposed to as much as much was the research side of things so I had done my research abroad term but apart from that I didn't have a lot of exposure to sort of the world of research or talking to professors seeing what the students were doing um, things like that and so it felt as if I would be able to sort of combine the two things that I was really passionate about and really interested in, in like one conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically I think I ended up the first role that I got was for programming director. So, and the reason why I applied for that was because I really wanted to read through the abstracts. I was really interested in what the students were doing to sort of learn more about the work that they were doing. And even from the, the, the logistical planning side to be able to sort of um, manage all the talks and the timing that they would be happening. And so I had a mental schedule in my mind 
of the talks that I would have loved to go to or, oh, yeah, I can be a moderator for this talk. It's no problem. Um, Yeah. And I think I basically really enjoyed the experience that I had um, just kind of seeing a conference come together. Um, And I think what was really cool for me from the UNERD perspective was that especially for for undergrads, I think the research side of the work that they do doesn't get highlighted as much. And there's so many students who are interested in a master's or who are interested in research um, that are doing really interesting projects um, at U of T or even in other places um, that don't get talked about as much. And so the idea of having a whole conference, a whole day of allowing the students, the undergraduate students to talk about the work that they've been doing just seemed really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, so I got accepted for the first year and then I loved it so much that I ended up applying for co-chair the following year, which is the year that I ended up running um, with Jennifer. Um, And that was actually something that was a little bit of a struggle for me because kind of starting my NSOC presidency term I had made a promise to myself to not get involved in other extracurriculars. Just I wanted, first of all, to do a really good job in my role as president. And that felt as if I needed to give it as much attention as possible. But also I knew from talking to previous presidents, um, since I had a couple chats with them, uh, that it was just a really hectic role. Mm -hmm. It's going to there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. And so I kind of told myself I really don't want to try to get involved in other extracurriculars because I know that I wouldn't be able to give it my 100% to both of them, Um, except UNERD was the one exception. Um, And I I just had such a great time the first year that I was involved with UNER that I really, really wanted to come back. And I'm so glad I did, Um, because I think even from the second year, being a co-chair now, it was basically, you know, I had started my term um, as NSOC president, but I didn't have as much hands-on leadership um, that early on, just because you start off your term in April. So you're the first half, the first quarter, I guess, of your term is throughout the summer when you're not directly leading anything at the moment. Um, And so UNERD was actually like the first time that I had direct leadership experience sort of from that angle of kind of directing a team, managing deadlines, like trying to figure all that stuff out. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there was still so much for me to learn. Um, And something that I, I always say when it comes to extracurriculars particularly is that you can do the same thing year and year, like from different years, but if you're involved in different roles, your experience is going to be completely different. And that held very true. I think like from, from year one to year two in UNERD, um, I ended up having a much different experience, not better or worse. Just it was the, the way that mm-hmm. I was looking at the conference was different. The way that I was approaching situations was different. Okay. All of a sudden I was exposed to committees that I didn't necessarily need to work with beforehand. And now I had to sort of had, have an overview over them and things like that. So yeah, it was a really, really cool experience. I'm so glad I did it. I probably would have gotten involved in the following year, but I graduated in 2020. So <laughs> the undergraduate part of UNERD no longer stood true for me. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I had a really, really great time with it. And I think it's an awesome conference. And I'm so glad to have seen it even continue from a virtual uh, format. Yeah, no, for sure. And Meisha, what about you? Because I think you were also, I think you were also the program director. And then... And then you yeah. thought you were the co-chair last year, which was the first you know, virtual conference and it was such a success. Why did you get involved yes. with UNERN from Thank first you. place? <laughs> I, was, um, I was the judging and awards director, I think in the first year I was there. So that would have been my first year summer. Oh. And then um, I was the, I think I was the, that, then I was the programming director um, in the first iteration of my second year. And then in the second iteration or something like that, um, I don't remember how the years worked out, but uh, after that, I was the co-chair. And then 
uh, I kept returning because I just, I think I really enjoyed how functional the team was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like so how true the team was. I think it's really hard to find really like epic people make epic teams and epic teams make epic things, right? Like anything it could be a product, a technology, a process, or in this case, a, an event. And if I ever find that, like, I'm going to stick with it as, as long as I can. <laughs> and so I found that in Unard. I found that in like Corey Hansen's guidance. I found that in the way that we got the support because it's funded by the faculty directly. And mm-hmm. there's all of these like safeguards to make sure that everything goes smoothly. And that's why it attracts such good talent to make sure that this happens properly. So honestly, like given everything and the experiences, that's um, that kind of comes down to I think Laura covered like all of kind of the skill related aspects of it but a lot of it is just the people make make it worth it and then I met Jennifer through there this is like this whole podcast episode is a testament to that um good truly you know years long friendships out of that experience and yeah the virtual experience was really something else like I had to kind of had to build something from the ground up during a time where online conferences like well-established conferences were really not a thing so we had to think about what an online experience might look like and reinventing that experience was a really fun challenge and in a lot of ways, like a user experience challenge, but I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think everything with online is kind of like that. We just have to rethink the way that we've been doing things, which I personally don't even think is like a, a bad idea, to be honest, is like, I think we should be questioning the way we do things and then yeah. try to implement better ways to do it if we can. Yeah. And then we're realizing some things we thought we could live with we can no longer live with if we have to do a hundred times a day whereas before we only had to do two or three times a day <laughs> exactly yeah but to your point Maisha as well like I think the team was another really big aspect of it and I feel like even um kind of from from the same perspective that you were having Jennifer of kind of being intimidated the first time you come around like with with the team even though I was a returning member and there were some familiar faces there's still kind of a brand new full room of people that you might not know and then all of a sudden you have to like be a leader and tell them what to do and kind of move forward and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it was a lot, a big aspect of why all units have been such a huge success is just like the, the people that ended up getting involved did such an amazing job. And even though we had so little time to put it all together, like everyone sort of came together um, and they, they did their best and the stuff that they did. And it was really, really awesome from that point of view too. Mm, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely relate to everything that both of you said. <laughs> And I think another thing I was going to mention is based on talking to some other people who've been involved in UNERN, I think a lot of them has similar experiences. And a lot of them, I think that initially a lot of them was um, got involved because they're interested in research. Just like you said, Laura, like it's a really great way to get exposure um, to read by reading the abstract, by reading what right. students doing and going, being in the conference itself. Like it's such it's such a great way to look at what's happening and such a great way to meet professors, to meet students. Yeah. So we definitely encourage that's um, really true, actually. Yeah. 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 I've met professors at Unit. I remember when I was, I think when I was programming director, I met a professor and we actually maintained like we actually kept in touch after and we kind of like worked together for a short period of time. Yeah. And that was the wildest thing because it came out of UNERD, like came out of the networking session from UNERD. <laughs> Which professor was it? She was, um, she was an MIE professor. Oh, um, okay. she studied. Yeah. So that was fun. Yeah. And I even know students who ended up 
pursuing a master's in the same lab that they did the research in that they presented at UNERD, you know, which was really, really cool. So it kind of goes to show that even from, from kind of a master's point of view, getting that previous experience of putting a poster together, putting an oral presentation together, kind of presenting in front of a room of people and trying to you know, dissect your research down to the very basics so that anybody can understand it. Those are all super useful skills as well. So yeah, it's just really cool that there's so many opportunities, I guess, for growth from the perspective of being an attendee or a participant, but also from kind of the organizing committee. So yeah. yeah. Attend you, nerd. (laughs) (laughs) This message is brought to you by... (laughs) You got three ex-committee members. Like, I don't know what people are expecting. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, so you did, okay. So like, you know, we go down the timeline, you did this co-op at St. Mike's and you thought, you know, you went in thinking I'm going to be a doctor. You leave thinking I'm not going to be a doctor. You go into U of T engineering. You think I'm going to go into mech bio and mechatronics. You do, um, your research term at, in Germany. And then, um, we haven't talked about, uh, well, actually you did your PY actually. I, I want to talk about your PY because that was mm-hmm. at Kanavi medical And this is kind of a special PY that we want to delve into because this is a company that I believe is kind of um, taken from like, it's like a bench to bedside kind of company, right? That's based off of research. Mm -hmm. So can you kind of speak about your role and even just broadly the company? Because I'm sure you know the research way better than we do. Yeah, for sure. So I think maybe I'll backtrack a little bit just in terms of kind of where I ended up with my PEY. So um, after I had discovered the world of bioengineering in first year, um, I was sort of interested in the idea of pursuing a master's because, again, I was interested in research. I was interested in bioengineering. That was sort of the field that I was going into. But at the same time, I really wanted to get exposure to the industry as well. Mm -hmm. So that's basically my thought process was that, you know, I would spend the summer after my second year delving into the world of research. And then, you know, the summer or I guess the year after my third year, I would end up doing the PUI, my PUI Mm -hmm. co-op, which would end up giving me that kind of more um, internship, more industry experience to sort of compare the two and to see which one would end up being the one that I'd be most interested in. Which one wins? (laughs) Which one wins? Yeah, I guess I'm doing my master's, so research one. We know what happens. (laughs) We know how that story ends. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and so as I was applying for for various PEYs uh, for the positions, I think I was just very much trying to focus on bioengineering companies. Um, I was focused on bioengineering companies within Toronto, particularly. I knew I wanted to stay in Toronto just because I had done sort of a term abroad uh, last summer. So I was like, you know what, for this experience, I really want to be in this area. And I had randomly stumbled upon Kanavi as I was scrolling through the the Engineering Career Center portal. Um, And yeah, the the premise behind the company is essentially that they want to promote minimally invasive cardiac procedures. So they make imaging devices that can help with those procedures. Um, And actually the the co-founder, I think he stepped down now from the CEO role, but the co-founder of the company uh, is from Sunnybrook Hospital. So he is a doctor and he regularly performed cardiac procedures um, Mm -hmm. while we were doing our work and stuff. Um, And yeah, basically in terms of the role and the work that I was doing. So I was a manufacturing engineering intern. So I was in the manufacturing department, which was dealing with essentially kind of building the devices together. Um, And I think a lot of people, myself included, before I worked in this role, when they think of manufacturing, they think of automation and robotic arms and like Mm -hmm. put everything together and all that type of stuff. But um, when you're dealing with smaller companies, that is very much not the case. Um, So my company, I think in total was about 100 people. 
Mm-hmm. And basically every single device was fully manually assembled. So we had technicians who were on the floor and they would be putting together every single little component of the oh, device. So you together. built it on site? Yes. Yeah. We okay. were building them on site. Yeah. We How had some custom made components. A lot. Is it like a robot that you ship out or like what is it? Yeah. So it's basically kind of, uh, so I'll, we can break it down basically into three main components. So the main biggest one is the sort of computer. So it's kind of the imaging display screens and then the console that basically gets the input to all the data and does mm-hmm. all the converting to sort of create the image. Um, there's the patient interface module or the PIM, um, which is basically the, the motor that actually ends up spinning the catheter. And then the last component is the actual catheter. So the actual part that goes inside the patient's body. Um, And so as I was kind of going through my manufacturing experience, I was originally on the catheter team. So I was helping design the catheters. Um, But then by the end of the summer, my first summer on my co-op, they needed more people to work on the console. So on the more so computer side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of ended up being switched to a different team and ended up working on two of the main kind of components that we were building, which was really cool. Um, And yeah, so basically kind of like the main work that I was doing from the manufacturing perspective was ensuring that the technicians had all the proper necessary documentation and tools and everything to build the devices properly. Um, Something that is held to a very high standard in the medical world is medical devices. There's a lot of standards that you have to abide by because if anything goes wrong with a medical device, you are in a lot of trouble Mm -hmm. Um, and there needs to be proper documentation to showcase that the build was done properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we were held to just a very high standard in terms of the quality that we were outputting and the way that we were presenting the information and things like that. Um, and then, you know, when inevitably something goes wrong, because it's not an if, it's a when, <laughs> when right. you're dealing with humans who are assembling things. Um, it was basically yes. the work of the manufacturing and well, the manufacturing engineers mm-hmm. um, to sort of look at the non-conformances and to put together a why this happened, how can we fix it? Um, and then you'd sort of put together a plan to help those non-conformances so that we can continue the build. Okay. Um, yeah. Sounds so like classic sort of like my... industrial engineering. A little bit, I would say. Like that's yeah. exactly <laughs> what I took a whole course on last mm-hmm. semester. Yeah, it is. It is like a quality control mm-hmm. and quality control. Yeah, exactly. So I'd say it was a lot more indie, I guess, than mech. Although the the thing that was kind of cool was as I was working on the console, I got to explore more of the mechatronics side of my degree since we were yes. working with like electronics components that were integrated right. in there. Um, never assembled them myself, but I got to kind of see the exposure and how all these components yes. came together and even terminology that I'm familiar with now. Um, and so I'm sort of using too. in my master's. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um but, but yeah, and I think it was just kind of a really interesting experience because first of all, there was a lot of interns in the company. So there was a very tight knit community with like the people that I was working with and we were all sort of in the same boat together trying to navigate mm-hmm. all this stuff. But I think the other main thing that was really cool about my, my co-op was that when you're working within a really small company, um, you are bound to be exposed to more areas of the industry than if you were working in a different field. Because I think if you're working in a bigger company, you sort of are in your own little bubble of the things mm. that you're doing. Whereas I feel as if I got exposed to a way bigger variety than the role that was defined in my job description. Um, because I got to work a lot with the R&D um, engineers, for example. So when I was on the catheter team, we were trying to design 
ways to improve the quality of the image. So I was actually doing testing with one of the other manufacturing. Well, her role was in the manufacturing engineering, um, but she was within the manufacturing team and we were sort of putting together various ways that different materials that we could use, different backings, different ways of assembling, things like that. So we were sort of doing a little bit of R&D to improve yeah. the process. Um, on the other hand of things, with quality, we were going back and forth a lot in terms of the documentation that we were creating to ensure that we were meeting all the ISO standards. Mm -hmm. On the other hand of things, there was a lot of verification and uh, validation that we had to do from the quality side. There was also a lot that we had to do when it came to presenting the product, so from the sales perspective. So I really felt as if, apart from software, because I wasn't that good at coding at the time, <laughs> <laughs> apart from that, I really feel as if I sort of got to see the company from a lot of different angles that I wouldn't have had other. Yes. And because the team was really small, I got to be really close with a lot of the people. Everybody sort of knew each other and things like that. And um, yeah, I think that was sort of really invaluable for me. And I'm very happy that as I was sort of searching for my PUI, I tried to target smaller companies um, because it ended up providing me with a much different outlook just in general in terms of companies. And even now, let's say, as I'm potentially thinking in the future of applying to different medical companies, I have a much deeper understanding of various roles and kind of what their where they fit they in, do, how yes. they kind of play with each other much more than had I been at a big company that sort of had assigned me a very set list of tasks. Um, yes. So yeah, and I think that that was something else that I, I really enjoyed was that if there were projects that we wanted to work on, they were very supportive of it. There were a couple initiatives that myself and various other interns at the company sort of proposed that ended up continuing even after we left in terms right. of the way that we were uh, collecting the documentation or various other things. And just the way that the kind of process improvements, let's put it that way, really yes. pulling in my indie terminology here. Um, <laughs> And, and various okay, things. We're a department we together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just various things that we sort of had come up with that we thought, hey, this is, you know, not working as well as we think it should. And we would really like it to sort of be improved. And we proposed an idea that ended up kind of getting continued even after we left. And um, yeah. yeah, I feel like they provided a really good environment. And even time and time again, because I've still kind of kept in contact with uh, a lot of the people from the company, um, they never really looked at us as interns. And I think that was a really crucial component for us that they very much treated us as full-time engineers. Mm -hmm. um, even though we might not have known uh, a lot of the things, they were always willing to sort of help, give us a helping hand, mentor us a little bit, and then, you know, kind of help us navigate the things that we needed to do. Um, but then at the same time, sort of tried to, again, kind of push the limits of the things that we were doing. And yes. that sort of encouraged even us as interns to try to explore beyond the things that we were commonly doing. And so there was a couple of initiatives and projects that I sort of always had on the back burner that I was working on. Um, and then, you know, there would be some some delay or we would have a deadline that we had to meet and we had to sort of crunch and, and meet the deadline. We had to get the device built because it needed to ship out the door like tomorrow. Yes. Um, and so like, there was kind of excitement always at going on. Like there was always something going on, which was really, really interesting and really cool and just made the work days very much not mundane. Um, and I right. very much appreciated that. So. I really enjoy you saying this, I think, because my PUI right now, so I began in May of this year, like a month ago, basically. Um, it's at a smaller company as well. It's actually smaller than yours. It's about 55 people. Um, it's a healthcare technology startup and I'm like software engineering. Um, and it's kind of exactly what you said. Uh, and that like we have, we have socials every week and there's, you know, there are things with a startup that 
are a little difficult to navigate because I have also worked at a, a bigger company and there are really good structures in place and the processes you, you mentioned, those are in place in enterprise. And they're really helpful because when you come in as an intern, um, you know where to go, what to do, because they're there. And yeah. it's a little disorienting if I'm at a startup because I have to make this for myself. But I think um, having come from like maybe just the transition from like like a corporate kind of like corporate culture to a smaller company has helped me kind of figure out what to look for and what to prepare for. Um, and so that's like, it hasn't been too much of a bother for me, but I've just really like been like absorbing everything. Um, and I've been very, very excited by seeing like, everyone's like very energetic. I, there are people, even like we have a team Slack and people will just share these stories about these because we work in like patient experience. Um, and like what we do is it's called Pocket Health, the company. And they, we provide like a cloud platform for patients to um, share their imaging records and like store and com- like forever store their um, diagnostic imaging, which is like not, it's not a service provided by like anybody else in this capacity in anywhere in the world. And um, they like share these experiences, like our patient experience team, like shares experiences that they've had. And it's like very moving and it's exciting to see this happen. And everyone is so invested in this journey. It's kind of this energy, like it's like the ethos of the company everyone has. It's something Absolutely. I have never seen. I don't know. I've seen it in a research lab. You know what I mean? Like when you, when I spoke to graduate students at my lab or like a PhD student and like, they know the vigor in which they speak about their thesis or what, where they want to go after like that, like the thing that comes from like future ambition for yourself. That's what I see at my company for the future ambition for this company. And like this revolution and movement that the company is trying to push forward, as you've probably noticed with like minimally, minimally invasive surgery. So yeah. for me, that's been really inspiring because I feel like this is a place where I can grow a lot in a different way. Um, and I, that's, that's something that I'm really, really looking forward to for the next 11 months. Yeah. And I think to your point, right, it is a little bit scary when you're sort of joining a new team structure and there isn't really much set in place. Now, granted, I think like my company had quite a bit of stuff set in place, but I think it almost makes you question the status quo. So you're like, okay, well, this is the way that we run things now, but we know that this is something that we can work on. We can change, we can improve. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not as like difficult of a process. There isn't, you know, tons of layers of bureaucracy that you have to go through before you sort of try to implement something new. Um, And I think that kind of comes from the fact that you know it is a startup where um, everyone sort of knows each other but I think to your point as well of like a lot of the people were there from the very beginning like I think one of the full-timers who had been the longest at the company was previously an intern so he started off as an intern and then yeah we have a lot of those on our engineering team because it used to be just a team of engineers and then their CEO who was the the only business person and that was like that was the product and now we're Mm -hmm. scaling it's I don't know. It's really wild to imagine like to be, I mean, I, it's still quite early because it's about 50, mm-hmm. 55 people. So. Yeah. But you yeah, definitely see, see the passion that people have in terms of the work that they're doing. And that's kind of what I was mentioning earlier too, is right. Like when it comes to at least bioengineering and the way that I operate in terms of the work that I do, I, I love having a purpose to the work that I do. Yes. I love doing engineering with a purpose. Um, and I feel like with, especially with bioengineering projects, if you have people who are passionate and interested in the work that they're doing, they're going to show that through the, when they come into work and they're going to be excited about the stuff that they do. Um, so yeah, I think that whole experience was like really invaluable from that perspective. And I think it definitely defined some things in my mind in terms of companies and terms of the way that things run and things like that. And also how to sort of like break away from the regular structure 
um, mm-hmm. that I definitely wouldn't have had had I been at a bit of a bigger company. And not to say that there, I think there's, you know, pros and cons to both. Like to your point, yeah. I think the transition coming in at the very beginning was extremely rough because there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. And you have, like, you're just sort of scrambling to, to figure out what your job is, but there isn't really something to find. And you're just sort of like clinging on to the things that you're supposed to be doing that are sort of like coming up. Um, and for myself, it was even scarier because as soon as I sort of started to find my footing in the project that I was doing in August, I was switched to a completely new project. So all of a sudden I had to start from zero again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just it's such an incredible learning opportunity from a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. again, I'm like still in so much like in contact with a lot of the people who I work with. I think I ended up because my company was actually quite close to where I live. Um, so I ended up like walking to there and I just like said hello from outside and stuff. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it just creates a really nice culture um, in the way that people interact, which I think is huge, but also in the way that people work, um, because I think they are very driven by the purpose of whatever the project that you're working on is right because mm. I think even for myself naturally you might have days where you're tired or you'd rather not be at work that day or anything like that but when you sort of think about you know the impact that your product can have sort of similar to your your stories or things like that or even being there for milestones for the company because when you're in a startup that tends to happen um, we actually got to be the the team of interns that was there for when we did a first in man it's what it's called a fim so we mm-hmm. it was the first time that they actually used the product in a human because up until then it had been used oh. clinically and things like that but we were essentially the team that built the product that was first use in a person um, and that was such a cool That's milestone incredible. to be there for right and it was really cool because they were sort of going back and forth between the first time because um, we had a couple clients that we were working with some in uh, I think it was in Hamilton it was in Canada mm-hmm. somewhere um, and then some I think it was in Japan and in China and we were able to sort of push it so that the first time we did uh, this testing was in Canada so we were able to say oh we're you know like a Toronto-based sort of startup Canavi is more than a startup at this point but mm-hmm. a, a Toronto-based company and mm-hmm. the first time that we ever t- tested our product was on Canadian soil which is really cool for sort of pursuing that Canadian innovation as well which is yeah yeah so. that's incredible I mean, also on the other hand, I just, I don't know. I also really enjoyed my time working at the, at, at, at like bigger companies because I remember when I was working, like I worked at three, three, three summers at a really big company. And was something I really enjoyed is that they had um, like my company specifically, but I know this is very common. They had like these, these enterprise resource groups, which are like clubs for people at a company. And I just felt the sense of community was so strong in them. Like this it felt a lot like kind of like really like a village or a school. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where those structures are in place and everything that comes with those structures, not just like the club itself. So all of it, I think it's just two variations of different experiences. Like they're just two contexts in which work takes place. I think sure. Jennifer can probably speak to it as well, but I just, I think this is a great conversation just to like pick apart those kinds of experiences and why um, it's worth considering the type of workplace um, and looking for a PY. Yeah, for sure. Like these are really great insight. And I'm sure it's it's actually never something like I never thought of when I considered PY on like the, you know, the big companies versus like a startup. And these are totally two different experiences. And I'm sure a lot of students will find it helpful. 
something that I, I really wish kind of more people think about as they're applying for PUI or just applying for jobs in general is that mm. when you're going through an interview, particularly, it feels as if, oh, there's just this group of people on a panel that's like questioning you. But I think it's very helpful to sort of think of it from the perspective of you are also interviewing them. You're also right. interviewing the company, sort of finding more about the role, finding more about the culture, because these are things that are going to end up playing such a huge role in how well you end up you know, liking your job mm -hmm. um, and things like that and how how much you can grow in it and things like that. So I think it's really helpful for people who are, you know, thinking about going to PUI or just like applying for jobs in general to try to think of it kind of like this as a conversation, right? Like it can yeah. kind of go both ways. They want to find out more about you, but you should also try to find out more about them and to try to think of kind of meaningful questions that you can ask that can give you more perspective into what that environment would look like mm -hmm. um, right. and sometimes like you probably might not know right like for me I think I was sort of aiming for smaller companies because I figured that I would get more exposure to various things um, mm -hmm. within the company compared to like a bigger company and at this point I haven't had much experience in a big company like in an engineering big firm um, but there's a lot of things that you sort of come with that, right? So when you're working at a startup, you have to have that sort of like self-starter mentality of like, mm -hmm. sometimes people might not tell you what to do and you just sort of have to go ahead and like find a path for you to do it yourself and things like that. So um, yeah, I think it's just like kind of helpful to think about the sort of environment that you're going to be in, the sort of people that you would be working with and things like that and to try to yes. sort of prod at the, those types of things in your interview as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. And I think Laura, at the beginning, you spoke a little bit about you want to go into this PUI experience to get some of that, I guess, industry exposure. Mm -hmm. And then it seems like you really liked this experience. So I guess, what was the difference between industry and research and what like, ultimately made you choose to pursue a master instead of going directly into industry? Yeah, so I think coming off of my PUI, I was a little bit more confused about what I wanted to do because mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I would end up doing this research abroad and then I would end up doing this industry thing and I, my mind would then have a very clear picture of which one I preferred over the other. Yes. Um, and when I came back from my research, I was like, oh man, that was amazing. I 100% mm -hmm. want to do a master's. And then when I finished my PUI, I was like, oh man, that was also amazing. I really want to work in the industry <laughs> now. So I think coming into fourth year, I was a little bit confused about what I wanted to do. Um, and I was sort of going back and forth a little bit, but I think what ended up being the, the difference in the things that you do, at least for me, didn't seem that big. Cause I think at the end of the day, the sort of way that you go through your tasks, it's sort of similar where you have a supervisor that sort of, you know, outlines the tasks that you're supposed to do. Um, they help you when you kind of need help. It's just, I think for um, the research, the team was just a lot smaller because it was just myself and my supervisor. So it was a lot more independent work um, compared to the industry where I guess you sort of work more so in a team. And you have other people to sort of bounce ideas off with. Um, but I think the biggest thing that it sort of kind of helped me figure out, particularly from the industry side, was just like the things that I really wanted to focus on. Um, so I keep kind of mentioning this idea of like engineering with purpose. Um, but I think that's just something that holds true for me. Um, as I was sort of thinking about what my next step was going to be, I really wanted to sort of try to set myself up for a career that would end up allowing me to have some sort of positive impact in the lives of others. And this holds true even like as I was applying to my Anschlag role, right? Like it was a much smaller percentage of people and like a much smaller bubble, but I wanted to sort of work on improving um, the lives of others. And so as I was thinking about that, I started looking into, you know, the professors that were working in the BME department and the biomedical department at U of T. 
because I think I, at that time, I was kind of set on staying at U of T. I didn't really have a particular reason why, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I found time and time again was that the projects that they were doing were extremely interesting, such interesting research that was going on at U of T, revolutionary concepts and things like that. But I didn't see a lot of the research projects, kind of what you were mentioning, uh, Maisha, that ended up getting into the industry and that ended up becoming startups and things like that. Um, I think I had talked to one a student um, that was in a professor's lab who had ended up actually starting a company from um, from the work that they were doing in her lab. But even from that company, basically all the employees were her students at the time from the lab and stuff. So um, right. it was very much in the early stages of sort of developing a company and things mm-hmm. like that. And I think from my point of view, I knew I wanted to sort of do work in furthering and improving something in the medical world, but I also wanted to have a project that wouldn't just be a paper that would be written somewhere that wouldn't end up having any sort of positive impact on anybody. I wanted a project with purpose. I wanted a project that I could see the impact that it could have on people. And I think that's where I sort of started to go back and forth because it felt as if I wasn't really able to get that with the professors that were doing research at U of T. And so then I was like, okay, maybe I can sort of try to go into the industry for a little bit and then maybe sort of try to narrow down a little bit more the areas that I'd like to focus on, the projects that I'd like to to explore and things like that. Because I think that was something that the industry did very much for me was it sort of narrowed down, oh, these are the things that I really want to focus on. And even in my fourth year, as I was coming back from PUI, I ended up spending a lot of time taking courses in like medical devices and things like that, just because it became kind of a very much an interest of mine. Um, And so, yeah, by the time that kind of graduation rolled around and by the time COVID rolled around as well, I think I was more confused than ever and I definitely didn't have kind of a plan moving forward. So when I graduated, I had no sort of set job that I was lined up for. I didn't have a kind of a master's that I was pursuing. I was just sort of left stranded in the air a little Mm bit. Um, And I think basically what ended up happening was I was sort of trying to look into some jobs, but the job market was being really difficult because COVID had just hit. Um, And through a very much random coincidence, I had a friend who said that she knew of a professor who wanted to do a project that for a master's that was related to COVID. And she had already taken on a different project, but she said it's kind of a mechatronics based kind of controller project. And we had taken a course together in that when we were in fourth year. So she was like, would you be interested in this? I can sort of provide that introduction. And I said, you know, yeah, let's, let's, why not? Let's talk to the professor, see what the project is all about. And so that's when I ended up basically meeting my supervisor. Um, And the project that he proposed was to develop a controller platform for ventilators for COVID that was agnostic to the specific uh, ventilator design. So I signed up on my project basically a year ago (laughs) this month. Um, and at the time, ventilator shortages was a really big issue. They, they very much needed ventilators in order to be able to maintain patients alive. And the biggest right. thing was that there was a lot of people who were doing open source projects, but those weren't complying with the medical standards. They weren't meeting all the requirements because it was kind of just random people who were sort of putting it together. And so basically the intent behind the project was to try to desi- design a controller that would be able to adapt no matter what type of ventilation mode you'd like to provide the patient with, because depending on how much the patient is contributing uh, in terms of the the way that they breathe and how much they breathe, um, the ventilator has to act differently. 
And right now, basically, when you're building a ventilator, they support one, maybe two modes. They don't really support a variety of them. Mm -hmm. And so the idea was to sort of try to build one controller that could be adapted no matter the type of ventilation mode that you want. And there there could be some short piece of code that you could input based on, let's say, the valves that you have or the inputs that you have and things like that. And the controller would be able to adapt based on that. so yeah, so I think that's kind of what ended up really drawing me to do my master's at the time. So I had met with my supervisor and he was kind of explaining the project a little bit more. He was saying that I would end up needing a lot of um, control systems knowledge and things like that. Um, and um, can you I, just define quickly like a, what a controller is? Like when you say controller, I think of remote control systems. Is that <laughs> for really sure. what it is? No, no, no. So it's basically the it's the code that defines when and how and what the ventilator does. So it's basically um, you have a feedback loop. um, So you have a number of inputs that go through a set of criteria based on, let's say, the targets that you'd like to achieve. So there are various targets that you can set based on the different breathing requirements that you have. Um, And then you have, let's say, the output. That's like the measured stuff. And then you take that and you basically feed it through a controller that ends up being kind of a feedback loop of trying to get the output values to match the targeted ones as much as possible. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of control systems in a nutshell. It's like trying to get the outputs to match the targeted values that you'd like and to sort of if there are any sort of calculations mm-hmm. that are involved with various things, which um, obviously in breathing, there's a lot of like pressure in, pressure out, that type of stuff um, that are involved with it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so when he kind of proposed this project, first of all, it was a COVID related project, which felt very relevant. And to be frank, I mean, ventilators are not needed as much right now, but I think even with pandemics overall, it's kind of a question mm-hmm. of not if it'll happen again, but when it'll happen again. And so being prepared for these types of emergency situations in general is something that I think is really important. And definitely we as a society, I think are much more aware of it now. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was cool to be able to work on a project that could have some positive long-term impact. Um, But then the other part of it was that we had sort of talked about how when I was specializing in my degree, I was specializing in bioengineering and mechatronics. And I've not talked about mechatronics at all <laughs> because <laughs> mechatronics is a very minor focus of mine in my undergraduate program. Um, and it's sort of, I really wanted to spend a little bit more time exploring the more so mechatronics side of bioengineering. Um, and so I felt it was a good opportunity for me to sort of learn more about mechatronics, about controllers, to learn to code because that was something that I didn't know how to do really well at the time mm-hmm. um, while also working on a project that would end up having a lot of positive impact. And so in the end, it sort of like really worked out with my supervisor being a really nice professor, because that was something that I was told time and time again is to try to, as you're thinking about your your master's, to try to find a supervisor that can be really well suited Mm -hmm. and that is nice and can help you through stuff. Um, And it felt like my supervisor was able to do that, which is nice, even though I hadn't met him before. And it just felt like I had the the basic skill set that I needed to build my knowledge on top of it so that I would be able to sort of put together this project. So, yeah. And then, you know, I've been doing my master's for a year now. The first year, it's been basically mostly me focusing on my courses. So I've been taking a number of kind of control systems and mechatronics courses, which definitely expanded my knowledge in the field in a way that it we had in an undergrad. So that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically since the semester ended, um, I've just been focusing on my thesis. So I've been working on actually developing the controller platform. I've been just reading a lot. I've learned so much about ventilation and ventilators in the past little while about breathing patterns, breathing modes, all that type of stuff. Um, 
definitely useful knowledge to have, I guess. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, just kind of like teaching myself on the side to, to code so that I can start to look at some of the open source designs that are already out there and sort of put all of that together in, in, a, in a project. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's kind of how I ended up where I am now when it comes to my master's. So very much not planned. Um, I think it kind of seems as if, oh, you know, but you were thinking about doing a master's your whole undergrad, but I think it, very much in fourth year, I was sort of going back and forth on if I should or if I shouldn't. Right. Um, and it was just kind of right time, right moment type of a situation that ended up working out really well for me. And I'm, I'm very happy that I ended up taking this project. I think it worked out really well. And I'm also fortunate that my projects can be done in a virtual environment. So I don't mm -hmm. need to come in person for anything because all the coding can be done virtually and yes. testing can be done virtually as well, which is nice. I too appreciate this about <laughs> software. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's the nice part about software. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's it kind of, it really worked out for the timing of things. And I think it's, uh, there's so many things that I've learned in this master's, even outside of just the direct knowledge that I've picked up from my thesis and from my yeah. courses that is totally going to set me up for the future in ways that I wouldn't have thought before. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you mentioned how it, it like, this wasn't planned at all, but based on what you just described, it just seemed like this is a perfect opportunity. I know it really was, but it was totally, totally random. It, I just happened to have a friend who had recommended this professor and this project to me. <laughs> you have and good friends. This, I know, I really do. Um, and this project originally actually wasn't even um, an MA. So my, my degree is a master's of applied science, which is the yes. research-based um, master's. Uh -huh. This project was originally and master's of engineering project and when I sort of talked to the professor I told him you know I'm, I'm not enrolled in any master's of engineering project and he's like okay well I can take you as a research student then so it, oh. it was really very much worked out for me in my favor and I, I feel so so fortunate for that introduction because um, uh, to be honest I don't know where I would have ended up if I wasn't doing my master's at the moment so yeah mm, okay and this is just to, to be curious, like, because um, you mentioned that you didn't have a lot of co like coding experience before. Was this like the first time that you actually started to learn, um, learn the codes? And because as to me, I like have like no, basically Python was the only course I took in coding. And I think mm -hmm. I'm just really intimidated now by every experience. It's like, oh, you need to learn how to code. And I'm just wondering if you had to go through a really um, difficult transition or what was that like? A hundred percent. I was okay. actually in the exact same boat as you. Um, so the only coding experience that I had had was from first year. And actually I was the, the I think I was the final year where they taught C, uh, not Python. So mm -hmm. I started off with mm -hmm. C and I remember that was the first time that I had ever been exposed to coding. Mm -hmm. um, and I had been really passionate about language learning. We've talked about me learning German. So <laughs> languages have been a part of my life for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I was told before I started coding that learning to code is like learning a language. And I was like, oh, I got it in easy. the bag. Right. <laughs> totally gonna be gonna be easy. Uh, narrator. It was not easy. Um, <laughs> it was. It was just. I think there was something about the way that coding works. Whether it was the syntax or the logic behind it. Like I knew what I needed to do, but sometimes just translating that into coding language just did not mesh with my brain whatsoever. And kind of same as you, I sort of became very, very triggered by it. I was like, I don't think I want to do this. At the time mm -hmm. when I was in second semester, first year, 
I was sort of debating if I wanted to stay in mechanical engineering and you know, and the other discipline I was considering was computer engineering. And then I did coding and I was like, no, I'm happy in mechanical. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay where I'm at. Um, so, so yeah, it was definitely a struggle and I, I didn't encounter any other sort of pieces of coding as I was going through my undergraduate degree. And that was part of the reason why I ended up wanting to apply to the, to the graduate degree. And it was very much a steep learning curve because when you're joining a graduate degree, a lot of the learning that you do is on your own. So I think that's kind of true in undergrad as well, but it's very much amplified by the time that you get to your grad degree is if there are any other like specific skills that you need for the degree that you're supposed to do, you have to do those in your own time. So now all of a sudden I was supposed to learn how to code not only, you know, like something that I was already terrified of, but like had to do it by myself, which was right. a struggle for me to begin with. I was so stuck all the time or I was like, I don't know where to begin. Where do I find the proper information? Like, how do I even start this? Um, and it wasn't even that coding in itself is that difficult, but I think I had just created kind of a mental block for myself of, oh, this is just something that I'm struggling with. So therefore mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do it. Um, and every single time I would like open a line of code, I'd be like, oh my God, what is this? Um, so yeah, I think it took quite a bit of trial and error um, to some extent up until I was able to sort of warm myself up to it. Um, just sort of like trying to browse through various resources that were online, which is really, really nice because there's so many resources to learn to code even on your own online. Right. So it's not intimidating from that perspective because you sort of, they guide you through the various things that you need to do. Um, it's nice that they sort of provide the solution so you can try things out on your own and then you can uh, see how you match with the solution that they proposed. Um, and I think, yeah, just the the interesting thing about coding that I've, I've learned now to actually enjoy is just that it sort of like tests the way that you think. So I, when I was starting to code and I like vividly remember this example, um, I was going through various tutorials and I think one of them, they were basically asking me to ask a user for an input um, and the input had to be, there were some requirements that the input had to have. And one of the requirements was that the input had to have four digits. So in my mind, I was like, okay, what if you, how do you subtract? Like, what do you do? How do you determine if the the number has four digits? And I looked at the solution and it was just like, oh, it has to be greater than a thousand and less than 900, 9,099. It was like such a simple thing. And I was like, oh, I was totally overthinking this. Mm. So I think it's just, I've had a couple of those small moments of like just coding kind of you have to trick the way that you think and like you have to find new and creative ways to think about the problems and now that I've kind of been doing it for a while I've actually really been enjoying that part of it um, when that was like the most terrifying part of me at the time so yeah I think like I'm sure probably everybody has some course from first year or from before just like throughout an undergrad that kind of triggered you like you probably might not have everyone has that coding course yeah even if it's not the coding course yeah exactly (laughs) for me it's easy 110 for the record yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um I think ECU 110, I had the funny story of I kind of as I was going into university, I knew I, I sort of had accepted the idea that I would not failing something, but I wanted the first time I failed something to get at least a 30% because that in my mind meant that, you know, I at least had some understanding of the content. Right. And first midterm of ECU 110, I ended up getting a 29%. And I was like, <laughs> damn, <laughs> the one and only time I failed something, I didn't even get the like ratio that I wanted. The minimum which was funny. Oh, yeah. My God. 
<laughs> so anyways, but, but yeah, the idea behind it is that I think like a lot of people end up having those types of courses that mm-hmm. you sort of have a bad encounter with at the time. And then you sort of have a negative association with them. And I think it's really helpful to give yourself a little bit of time to take a step back from it and then try to revisit it at a different time, because, mm-hmm. you know, who knows, it might have been like at the time, maybe you didn't have as much knowledge, or maybe now, you know, after having done engineering for four years, I've developed a different mindset in the way that I think and anything like that. So I think it's it's helpful to sort of try to revisit some of those yeah. concepts that maybe you were like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, this isn't my cup of tea type of thing. Because mm-hmm. um, believe me, had you asked me any time throughout undergrad, I would have told you that coding was not my thing. And now I'm actively doing a project that basically only involves coding. So <laughs> Um, but I think that kind of goes to to the point of like trying to step outside your comfort zone as well. Like same thing with yes. when it came to sort of the decision with Enchlock and stuff. Like it's kind of the similar idea of I knew that I didn't have all the knowledge that I needed when I joined this master's. And I was like, well, this is going to be kind of a challenge for myself moving forward of like trying to navigate the things that I need to do to get to the level where I can actually do this project because I don't have that yet so how do I get there what do I have to do to get there um and it's definitely a lot of like failing along the way because I've failed many a time and it could even be fail fail failure in terms of um like you know your code doesn't compile or it doesn't work but also failure in terms of like you're just afraid to even start because you're like oh I I don't know what I don't know so I don't even know where to begin and you just feel like there's this kind of block in in your way like something that kind of stands in the way of you even starting so yeah I think it's just kind of helpful to try to include those types of challenges in the way that you approach the situations that you do whether it be revisiting previous concepts that you might not have had so much fun with or um engaging in a whole degree of trying to do that um, I think Laura. <laughs> Laura, yeah. like I think there's this I've already learned so much about myself and about the way that I think and, and about problem solving in a different way just from the one yeah. year that I've had in my mm-hmm. master's so it's it's definitely an experience that I wouldn't trade from that perspective mm-hmm. yeah I think that's that's really awesome you know you there's one thing that comes with learning how to code or learning how to program that exists in you know like maybe some like industrial engineering I know like we have we do we code a lot and also you see of course is like the classic program where you're coding every all the time um also CS and it it's like the course community the fact that you're learning alongside everybody else and it makes me think about something that I I have heard and I've read about from um, this like shame researcher, basically, um, her name is Dr. Brene Brown. You've probably watched like her oh, TED yes, talk, very yes. popular. I love and, her. <laughs> yeah. She's so good. And, and one thing she talks about is, I, I think this is like the premise of what she says. I don't know if it's exact, but it's something like, um, the opposite of shame and shame is like, when you feel bad about yourself, it's like an inward reflection is not just like not shame or it's not like, you know, ext- like extruding, like feeling good about yourself, but the opposite of shame is connection. And so when you're by yourself and you feel awful because you can't solve a bug and you're like, you know, I'm so dumb. I don't understand this. Um, The connection that typically happens when we're learning maybe in a school or a course is when we're with our classmates and they're saying, you know, me too, let's, let's work together. And like, this is like this direct application. And a lot of the reason why Jennifer and I are even here doing this, like having this conversation is because like we feel that we're trying to build that connection, like undergraduate research students have like this feeling 
we've talked to so many people, our friends and even our guests were like, there's this feeling of like disillusionment and like fear and shame about like, do I belong here? Everybody else is so smart. What can I do? How can I contribute? And if just we could get all of the people who feel like that and then connect, perhaps that shame would go away. Absolutely. And I think that's something that I almost took for granted a little bit throughout my undergrad degree is you kind of almost don't realize how lucky you are that that you are surrounded by people that are in the same boat as you that when you're struggling you can just sort of turn to the person next door and ask them like what's going on and they'll probably tell you they also don't know what's going on but like at least you're not you're going through it together and things like that yeah Um, but I think just that community aspect of it is so so invaluable Um, and definitely something that I've personally been missing a little bit in grad school because I think it's just a lot more difficult, first of all, in grad school overall, but in an online environment to create those connections with people, Mm -hmm. to build that sort of community, because it's difficult to sort of connect with anybody, period, that you sort of don't already know. Um, And sort of trying to like break through that barrier and then to sort of try to struggle together through different things. And everyone has their own different project that they're working on. So everyone is sort of like focused on the thing that they're doing. So yeah, I think that community aspect is so, so important and and definitely something that I think people should try to use as much as possible. Like I remember even for myself in first year, I think I was working on, um, it was a, what was it like Civ 100 problem set or something. Um, I think I was just like, (laughs) as soon as you said it, I had that visceral reaction. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Everyone has that course. Um, but I, but I remember like I was working on it in the MIE common room and there just happened to be some second years that passed by me and they saw it and they were ended up, they ended up helping me with the problems that just like randomly, I had never met them. We ended up like connecting after and like, I'm still friends with some of them to this day. So it's, there's so many like little nuggets of that type of community that you can sort of rely on. And I feel like people should really tap into that as much as mm-hmm. they can. I'm just wondering, because when I look at your experience, one, like one after another it seemed like they somehow perfectly aligned with each other and you're like on this perfect path you know coming in from the first day of university you kind of already know you want to go into like um, bioengineering and that's kind of exactly what you did with your PUI and as well as your uh, master's right now Um, so just I'm just a little curious on what your thoughts on on that if I were to say you know I described as the perfect path but how would you describe your path as the furthest thing from that probably is the way that I would describe it um I think it it definitely looks that way on paper and it probably looks so well calculated so well planned and I had tried to you know set myself up for success the one thing that I did today is gonna like you know be the stepping stone for the thing that I'm gonna be doing next and Mm -hmm. that just was not the case whatsoever um I think I say that I got lucky but I think it's a little bit more than just luck like I definitely think it was some random connections that I had met but I think um the majority of it came from trying to expose myself to various areas that I hadn't known before um trying to do a lot of research on my own to sort of figure out the things that I would like to do, the ways that I'd like to get involved, things like that, whether it be in terms of finding a job or in terms of the extracurriculars that I did. Um, And I think I really tried to sort of step outside of the things that I already knew um, and sort of approach it almost from like a beginner's mindset of like, okay, what is kind of there to see what is there to do what are let's say the bioengineering companies in the area what are the research streams that I could pursue like all that type of stuff and I think I very much sort of just took it step by step as I was going throughout my path and it it seems as if I just weave like perfectly made my way through it somehow 
Um, but I think in reality, it's it's been a lot more of sort of like trying to take it one day at a time, sort of trying to make the most out of the opportunities that I have. And I think that ended up being sort of one of the things that helped me succeed in the future was that I tried so hard and opportunities that I was involved in to give it my 100% mm-hmm. to do as much as I can to get the most set of connections, the, the most set of the connections I was making um, that ended up sort of setting me up for the future to some extent, not necessarily even through like a recommendation of any sort, but just you end up taking away from an experience what you put into it and so I ended up taking so much away purely by the fact that I really threw myself into every single thing that I did and granted like that's tough to do and I was Mm -hmm. burnt out many a times throughout my undergrad program and even now throughout grad school and things like that but there's so many ways that you can learn from the stuff that you do even just again beyond the, the academics that you would learn from something like that that I think that was sort of how I was able to kind of continue on this path that I sort of set for myself. Um, And again, it may seem as if it's very linear, but I was just as confused, if not more confused in fourth year as as everybody else about like what I wanted to do with my life. I was sort of back, back in the same mindset that I was in the summer after grade 11, when I realized I didn't want to be a doctor. I'm like, oh, I've had this plan for four years, and I wanted to do a master's. And now, that's just not what I want to do. So where do I go next? And then I had so many other responsibilities that I needed to handle at the same time. So thinking about my future was just like not the thing that I wanted to do. Mm. Um, And so I think, especially with the pandemic, but even just through all the experiences that I kind of had, it kind of taught me that trying to plan for the future is just really difficult and sometimes not worth it to some extent, because there's always going to be something that sort of comes up in the way of the things that you do. Um, And the person, I remember like reading a quote about, you know, the best person to deal with, let's say like 10 years from now is like nine years from now you, because she will have grown and have developed and have done so many other things in the meantime that you don't currently know and you can't even fathom same thing for myself right like I think even from going to from first to fourth year I am a completely different human than I was and I ended up doing things that I never would have pictured just because I tried to kind of throw myself into them and I sort of tried to take it one day at a time um, and so I think like being confused is okay and I think a lot of the times like you sort of look at someone's resume even like my own or like you go through someone's LinkedIn and you're like oh they had the perfect story they had the perfect thing like everything was so perfectly lined up when in reality I was like confused 90% of the time and the 10% (laughs) of the time was when I was doing something already so I was on my research and I was like oh I'm enjoying this or I was on my PUI and I was like oh I'm enjoying this but apart from that like believe me I was just as lost as everybody else and so I think trying to normalize that is something that is really important because there's so much pressure that I think all of us put on ourselves to sort of have that super clear path moving forward to know exactly what we want to do and and all that type of stuff and even for myself like I think it worked out that bioengineering was the thing that I wanted to study but I know a lot of people who end up having very different experiences you know Mm-hmm. And I think maybe for myself, I sort of had that a little bit earlier on when I was in high school and I got exposed to a field that I thought I wanted to do and then I kind of didn't. Um, but it was actually quite interesting because last semester I was uh, TAing um, a course. It was a seminar course for the first year at my students. And so there was okay. basically sort of all the people that were coming in from various different fields. There was various professors to talk about, again, the things that you can do in MIE. And one of the talks was given by ILEAD. 
And one of the mm. statistics that they were providing, because they're just kind of talking about finding your path and finding your career, was that I think it was like only like there's less than 20% of engineers end up working in the field that they studied. Everybody yes. else basically either switches disciplines, either doesn't work in engineering at all, or like is doing something that's not even STEM. So it, right. I think that's something that people kind of don't really think about as they go throughout their degree. I think a lot of people either come in confused and they just sort of like figure things out as they go um, or they come in with like a very defined idea of what they want to do when in reality there are so many other options that are available and so I think the reason why I ended up having such a good path moving forward even though again it was not intentional mm -hmm. at all was purely because I didn't really know what I wanted to do and to be frank I still don't really know what I want to do like I think the only thing that I knew was I want to help people and bioengineering seemed the way that I would be able to do that but apart from that it was very much sort of keeping it high level and trying my best to see where could I get involved in bioengineering in various areas? Like, where could I find the things that I could potentially do? Like, what type of research could I do? What type of job could I find? That type of stuff. And I just sort of tried to approach it as I was going through my degree, like kind of one step at a time. And I think just kind of trying to normalize that. First of all, trying to normalize the idea of like, not knowing what the heck your next step is going to be, but mm -hmm. also normalizing the, the idea that you will most likely switch your interests and your passions and the things that you're going to be doing as you go through your career. Um, that I think is something that I so wish I sort of understood and sat with a little bit more because I think I, right. I remember having alumni come in and they would talk about the fact that, you know, oh, the things that you do after you graduate, they don't really matter. They're just sort of like a stepping stone for the next thing. And I think in my brain, I would listen to it and be like, yeah, right. Like, of course not. It has to be like the perfect thing that would set you up and like, look at the things that you're doing, you know, as like an alumni, let's say, like, it just so happened that the jobs that you did lined you up so perfectly. But even now at myself looking in retrospect, it's quite funny, right? Because it's mm -hmm. kind of the same thing that, you know, I was being told from, from a different perspective. And it's um, a lot of the times I think people should try to make decisions based on like what they think is best for them at that time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of like what kept me going and what drew, like drove my decisions um, in those moments. And if it happens to work out, that's great, you know, then if it doesn't, you have the freedom to sort of change it and try something else moving forward. So, yeah, I think, you know, I very much expanded that answer from like your question, but I think it's, it's important to sort of try to, you know, unravel the fact that even as myself, as someone who, you know, may seem like I have my, my life together, I'm very mm -hmm. much the, the furthest thing away from that. And I think that that's okay. Like, I think that's fine to, to be confused and to not know what you want to do. Yeah. I think the point you brought up. Okay. So first of all, <laughs> the statistic about engineer engineers, not working in their field is something that Eile has like loves to bring up. Like it's one of their top, top stats that they always have, like on a PowerPoint slide. I've seen, I've attended a lot of Eile labs and I've seen it in half of them or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know which one you're talking about. It's like a pie chart. And it's like mm -hmm. blue yeah. and red. I'm sure it's the same <laughs> yeah. one every time, but yeah. you know, we'll give yes. them a pass. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a really, it's really pertinent though. Like, right. Cause you repeat the message and then people eventually remember mm -hmm. it. And every, I'm sure everyone has an exact image of what it is. 
And the point you brought about... Sorry to kind of interrupt you, but to your point, like I remember, especially in that first year class, as that statistic was being presented, some students were like, oh, this is very shocking. But some students were like, why? What do you mean? Mm -hmm. Like you you studied to be an engineer. Why are you not working as an engineer? And so I think there's a lot of pushback almost to that idea of like you not really working in the area that you studied or like you not doing the things that you had set yourself up to do. And so to be frank, I feel like Eileen is doing a good job of like ingraining that in you in the sense of like, you should be reminded that there is a bit more to your degree and to the things that you would end up doing than you think. For sure. I think this is a great shift. I think initially, or even a lot of situations still now, like um, schools and degree programs are like, you know, they prepare us like intensively for that career, but not so much career shifts. Mm -hmm. Um, But I lead like, as you, as you said, just now, it's trying to shift that kind of model of what a career is towards shifts more so Mm -hmm. and I think that's that's kind of an important point to bring up too is like what we define as a career right because I think a lot of people maybe don't necessarily think about defining a career when you're an undergrad which makes sense because you're in school Mm -hmm. but especially in engineering you know people are doing internships after first and second year so they're already starting to get work experience I think there's like 70 to 80 percent of students who end up doing PUI if not even more so you're already sort of starting to build kind of some building blocks of your career Um, and so I think like shifting the way that we think about what we define as a career and not think of it as like oh it's like the one job that I'm going to settle in or like even I'm going to like be at one company for like the rest of my life I feel like that type of mentality is like not not really true at all anymore Um, and I think we encounter much more this idea of you sort of try out something for a while and then if you like it you kind of stay if you don't you sort of try to move on or you even shift between different positions at different companies like mm-hmm. I had a friend of my friends that I worked at um, Canavi with she was also in the manufacturing department but now mm-hmm. she went back to Canavi in the quality department so mm-hmm. she's at the same company but doing something completely different um, and it's kind of like a really interesting learning opportunity for her because working as manufacturing versus working as quality is really different so um, yeah I think there's just so many areas to sort of try to explore and I think it's important to sort of not try to um, close too many doors too early on I think that's something that I definitely tried not to do maybe to my detriment sometimes because I think I'll try to leave too many doors open at the same time Um, but I think overall it's just trying to keep that sort of open mind to the experiences that are coming up and to sort of try to figure out other ways that you could explore and I think even from like listening to this podcast I'm sure there's like a lot of things that students can learn opportunities that maybe they didn't even know about and something for them to look into so I think Mm -hmm. you know to everyone listening, you're already taking good first steps to sort of like finding other things that you could do, which is really cool. So, but I think sort of trying to continue that trend, the, even just like talking to various people. Um, mm-hmm. Like, for example, I remember in first year, um, I was talking with one of the TAs for one of my classes, and he was doing a master's that was sponsored by his company. So he ended up getting paid by a company to like do his master's, which I thought was so cool. And I had never mm-hmm, heard of yes. that before. Um, it was like my first time of being exposed to it. So I was like, oh, that's something that I could do if I like really wanted to. Right. Um, right. And so I think it's just through various kind of one-off conversations that I've had with people um, that I sort of ended up finding the things that I really wanted to do. Um, and then, yeah. you know, it kind best, of the best opportunities out. are always hidden. Like those kinds of opportunities, yeah. no one's going to say on their yes. company website, this is possible or, or mm-hmm. something even beyond nothing. It's always within connections. Yeah, exactly. And so I think sort of trying to rely on that and doing as much work as you can to sort of try to build up 
rapport with like other people, like talking to alumni, things like that. Um, there's always so much to learn, even if it's just like finding out about the stuff that they did that maybe you could try to apply to what you're currently doing, you know? So, um, okay. So now <laughs> after hearing your stories and your thoughts on your, you know, your perfect pathway and your take on all that, uh, we're really perfectly to- not perfect pathway. <laughs> perfectly not perfect pathway is perfect. I think we we have our title there. Um, <laughs> but we're marketing think, coming in. <laughs> marketing coming in. <laughs> um, but I think both Mayesh and I, and I'm sure our listener too, are wondering what's next. What's next? Yeah. What's next in in this pathway? What's what's um. What's coming? Up. I think you're still finishing up your master's, so you still have a little yes. time. But so I got you... more time to defer answering this question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I actually do have a friend who ended up doing a master's just to defer applying for jobs because he was so <laughs> unsure what he wanted to do. So it's it's more common than people think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but yeah. So in terms of I guess the next step. Um, so I don't really know, to be honest, what my next step is going to be. And I remember in fourth year, that was obviously a very, very common question that everybody would be mm-hmm. asking you. It's like, oh, what are you doing after you graduate? And I remember getting so much anxiety from the idea of trying to answer that question, especially because I didn't have a solid mm-hmm. plan. I didn't know where I was going to be or what I was going to do. Um, and I think in the past year, just kind of as I was going through my master's, I've really learned to sort of go with the flow a little bit more um, to sort of allow things to flow naturally and to to not be so concerned about taking the next like perfect step or doing the next like perfect thing that I would have to do Um, because I think from everything that I've done so far I've always used it as a learning opportunity like even for example the summer after my first year I was trying to look for um, engineering internships and I just wasn't able to find any. Mm-hmm. And I ended up working as a, a customer service assistant. So when you called like the number for a various company, I was like the person responding. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time it was a bilingual position. So I was like, oh, it's like a cool opportunity because I get to work on my French. That's awesome. Again, mm-hmm. me and languages, it's a common trend. Um, but, but I think the other thing that came out of that was that I really learned how to talk to people on the phone, which ended up being a skill that I used a lot during my PUI because I was supposed to call a lot of suppliers for the parts that I was doing. And I remember I like picked yeah. up the phone and I was just like calling various suppliers asking for different things. And I had one of my coworkers after I hang up, hung up the phone, he was like, how did you do that so easily? Like you just, you just did it. And I was like, yeah, like what's the big deal? So I think like time and time again, I've been proven by the things that I've done that there's always something that you can learn and there's always something that you pick up from the experiences that you do. Mm-hmm. And so I think right now I'm less concerned about my next step and what it will be I think in terms of like the main things that I'm interested in obviously like bioengineering is something that I still am very much passionate about and would love to pursue Um, but I think recently I've started to dabble more into the world of like project management Um, just based on all the work that I've done with like event planning with NSOC like with everything that I've done there's so many aspects of project management that kind of feed into it Um, and I sort of took a couple just free courses that I was able to find in project management and very much enjoyed it Um, and it seemed kind of like the best of both worlds because I would get to work you know on building the budget building the schedule working with various teams and things like that while also still hopefully being involved in a more so medical device by a medical company um, 
so yeah, we will see. I don't know. And even with kind of project management, it's kind of a tough role to sort of break into the industry right away and to just be hired as a project manager. Um, right. Yeah. I've heard so this. Think- it's almost like a managerial position, right? You have to you usually work as an engineer mm-hmm. and then you're kind of hired internally. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's sort of the experience that I've seen. And who knows, maybe there are people who were able to actually, I know someone who was able to get hired as like a product manager, like straight out of graduation and stuff. Um, But but I think just for me for now, I think after I'm going to be wrapping up my degree, I'm just hoping to sort of explore a little bit about the industry and like what else is out there what are the companies that are out there um because i think for the first time after i'm graduating i will have no direct ties to any specific place anymore so i could stay in toronto but i could also move to like a different city um for a while i was debating if i wanted to go back to germany um or if i want to go elsewhere in canada or if i'd like to even go to the bay area so i think i'll probably for my next step, it'll just be to sort of scope out a little bit, like see what else is out there. Um, Because I think all these areas have kind of a biomedical hub to some degree, which is really cool. Um, So it's Boston, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, 100%. (laughs) There's so much there too. Um, So so I think for now, I'll probably try to figure that out, see where I would end up, and then hopefully try to like build my way through that. Um, but I think even for myself right now, I'm trying again to not close too many doors too early mm-hmm. on. Cause for example, um, I was looking also into consulting and consulting seems like something that would also be extremely interesting. So I want to sort of allow myself to try out a couple different careers before I settle on one that I'm like, Oh, this is kind of what I want to pursue. Um, and I think I'm okay to sort of move around from job to job for a little bit before I find out the thing that I would really like to focus on. And who knows, maybe I'll use that, uh, certificate that I did and so <laughs> company at some point um, so who knows like cool. it's yeah <laughs> so who knows I think like it's I'm the more kind of the more I'm distancing myself uh, from I guess my undergraduate degree uh, the more I'm realizing just the wide variety of opportunities that are available and I think um, right. the more I look into it the more I'm like you know what there's so much to explore that it would be such a shame to settle on one thing so early on and I'd much rather try to sort of go in different directions and use the skills that I've acquired um, along the way make them those sort of like transferable skills and be like hey let's say like I don't have direct interest or like direct skills in like this area but I have something else that like could potentially work to the things that you're needing for this job too um, and to hopefully sort of try to use that for my advantage to figure out where I will end up where I will be I don't know this is the the, the TLDR but um personally I all think... areas of work yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well a lot of areas of work but I love it yeah but I think I again I was very nervous um about this sort of like thought process when I was in fourth year now I think I'm just a lot more excited and I think like a lot of us mm-hmm. especially you know like graduating from an engineering degree, like we're graduating in STEM, there's so many op- cool opportunities to sort of pursue that I think being intimidated, but like what you can do next is is not worth it. Cause there's like so much to do that you're bound to be able to explore so many things. And again, if you don't like it, like you have the power to change it, you know? So. Yeah. Well, sorry. I just, I really love this response because I feel like you phrased it. Uh, usually when you hear, you know, what's next and when the person doesn't know what they're doing, it tend to be a little like a little bit negative and they're a lot, but you phrased it in such a positive way, which yeah. as it should be. And I think it would inspire a lot of students. Yeah. Like undiscovered possibilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think like, I really wish I had understood this a little bit more. And I was told mm-hmm. this kind of as I was going through it, but it's so hard to internalize and to actually be okay with not knowing what's going to come next. Mm-hmm. Cause I think for a lot of people, myself particularly I guess like there's been such a clear path to the steps that you take so like you graduate high school like I think university Mm -hmm. is kind of a given for most people doing a second degree in my family at least was also a given Mm -hmm. but like after that what next like what comes you know Mm -hmm. you've been sort of so set on your path that when you're sort of offered the opportunity to expand beyond what you've known so far it it's scary Mm -hmm. and and I remember even feeling that way to a much smaller level Um, When I was coming into second year and I all of a sudden had to pick electives, I was so scared by the variety of things that I had to offer that I was like, "Uh, I don't know, I'll like focus on this business minor, I guess, and like try to do this small thing when I could have explored so many other things and I wish I did. Um, So I think I'm trying to, you know, retroactively make up for for all that time in the past and sort of try to approach it now with a much more open mind and just to be like, you know what, things have worked out so well for me so far that Mm -hmm. like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be okay. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah. So moving on from there, you know, some more reflective questions. I know this one was reflective, but this is even like higher level. This is basically now that you've had this, like you've gotten your undergrad, like your bachelor's degree, you're halfway through your master's. How do you define success for your success for yourself now? Um, yeah, can you just kind of tell us about that? I think maybe this answer might probably surprise a lot of people Um, but I think the way that I define success is through failure and I know that it seems like they're like the opposites of each other but I think success comes from failing time and time again Um, but having the resilience to sort of step back up and like put yourself back together even after let's say something didn't really work out in your favor and I think that tends those tends to be the people that I consider most successful is the people who have struggled through a variety of things that they've gone through and again sometimes you might not even see the struggle like the majority of the time when you look at successful people you see sort of like their posts on LinkedIn when like they finally got the job but you don't see all of the companies that you know they they applied to and never even got an interview for or like you know you see that a startup was able to get funding but you don't see all of the applications that they submitted when no one even like looked at their email so I think like the people who I think are most successful and what I think I've tried to redefine as success overall is to be okay with failing and to mm-hmm. remind yourself that failures are not necessarily something negative, that they are actually just learning opportunities that you can take away much more from. Because I think when you do something and let's say you do it right the first time, you're like, cool. But if you do something and you fail at it, you have to spend that much more time to figure out, okay, but why did this not work? What could Mm -hmm. I have done differently? What can I do moving forward to sort of try to learn from this opportunity and not make the same mistake again? And that ends up teaching you so much more than had you just sort of like, you know, coasted through it and and it sort of worked out. So yeah, I think, you know, and that's kind of a tough mentality. And I think especially kind of mm-hmm. going to U of T, like such a competitive school, um, you know, wanting to have the highest grades and all that type of stuff. Like the idea of failing is not really ingrained in us to some extent, like even throughout courses. And I'm, you know, talking to friends of mine who graduated in my year, they kind of talk about the fact that they wish they had failed more throughout their undergrad um, because everyone was so focused on getting the perfect mark or getting the, the right 
thing, uh, the right answer right away that they didn't spend time sort of failing through it. They would, you know, a friend already had the answer or like you just asked somebody else for help and then you would already get the answer that you needed. Um, right. And I think it kind of shows itself in a lot of ways that taking that time to struggle through the things that you're kind of having to go through ends up being so helpful to the way mm-hmm. that you think, to the way that you look your success and then when you do end up finally getting it it's so much more rewarding knowing that you've sort of like struggled through various things struggled through various decisions or whatever it may have been to sort of get to that end point um so yeah i think in my mind i've just been trying to to redefine the way that i look at failures and to again kind of same as with you know not knowing what my next step was going to be attach sort of a more positive connotation to it and Mm -hmm. to almost encourage myself to fail at times Um, And I think grad school has been great from that perspective because I'm taking less courses. So my workload is less and I have more time to sit and to fail, you know, (laughs) and to sort of play around with things and to not succeed at times, to struggle through the things that I have to do. Um, But then when I do end up figuring it out, it's so rewarding and it it means that much more um, knowing that I put in the effort and the time to sort of try to struggle through it first. So I love it. I love that how you framed it as success is failing because I immediately thought of, oh, so it's like coding and debugging. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And then that's when I realized I have been coding too much and you have been coding too much. (laughs) And we just all need to take a break this weekend. (laughs) But no, that's that's a hundred percent right. And it's it's even with that, right? Like I think part of what I'm finding really interesting with coding now is exactly that aspect of like, if you don't succeed right away, if your code doesn't compile on the first try, first of all, that's pretty common. Like most people do that. It's highly unlikely that anybody's code compiles the first time. Um, And then second of all, like it makes you pay that much more attention to the work that you do. Because the majority of the time, it's a syntax error that you made. Like you forgot to put a semicolon or like you opened the bracket at the wrong place or something like that. And, you know, I'm like really making a metaphor here for like real life, but it holds true to that extent as well, right? That like we just assume that everyone like succeeds from the get-go when in reality, everybody sort of like fails a lot before they get to the success that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the majority of the time, it helps to sort of look inward to the things that you've done, to the work that you did, to sort of dissect it a little bit more and to see, okay, where was it that, you know, I failed along the way and what do I need to improve from it from now on? So, Yeah. And sitting here too, it's like, it's hilarious to me because my first year self would probably laugh in my face if she heard me like <laughs> making metaphors to coding <laughs> about real life. But, you know, I think it's, it's really cool to see that sort of like growth. And, and yeah. I think that's the other aspect of, of failing is that you, it, there's so much growth associated with it. And I think mm-hmm. success is inherently tied to growth to some extent, you know, continuing yeah. to grow, continuing to learn all that type of stuff is so, so vital to, I think maintaining and continuing to have success in the things that you end up doing so mm-hmm, for sure well very very well said yeah I feel- that, was <laughs> great. that was really nice to hear I really appreciate you entertaining my coding <laughs> <laughs> I took it one step further <laughs> I committed it to get home <laughs> Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh, I'm just surrounded by two coders and I'm here like, oh my gosh, <laughs> just stop. Okay, so final question. Um, so we have, you know, a lot of our listeners uh, or target audience, you know, we're, we're speaking to students and they're students who are um, like who may have been, who are struggling potentially or who are having to make difficult decisions. 
um, what would be your advice to them? Uh, maybe speaking to yourself in the past, cause you, you kind of referenced that a lot now. Um, just kind of share a little bit, maybe tidbits, a four-step plan. I don't know, whatever you'd like. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really tough, right? Cause I think with advice, it's the type of thing that you need to be in the right mindset to be able to actually fully understand. Mm-hmm. Cause you can hear it, but you wouldn't really be able to sort of like fully integrate it. So it's really tough to sort of look back at myself and be like, what, do I wish I had told myself because I don't know if I would have ever been in the right mindset to have fully understood the things that I would have wanted to say. Um, But I think some things that I know I did well and that I hope to encourage other people is to sort of expand beyond the things that are defined as academics in your degree. Um, Because I have seen invaluable growth in my technical skills, but also just in who I am as a person through the experiences that I did outside of academics. Um, And they ended up being some of the most influential things that I did in my undergrad degree. Um, So I think taking time away from just studying, I think is something that's extremely important. Um, And then the other thing that I guess I would really love to say is to just continue to be curious um, and to continue to question the things that are happening around you. So whether it be you know, at school or whether it be at work, if you think that there are ways that you can improve the situation, like that, you know, I think kind of almost applying an engineering mindset, I guess, to the way that you move on through life is probably the advice that I would like to give. Because I think just, you know, as engineers, we look at problems and we try to think of solutions and ways that we could solve them. And I think trying to look at your next steps Mm -hmm. or your career or your education or anything like that through the same mentality can be so invaluable of, you know, what areas can, what are the problems that are here? Like, what can I do to sort of solve them? Or what should my next steps be like moving forward? Kind of what is, what is, you know, the plan from, from that then on out. Um, And yeah, so I think just like sort of trying to stay curious and not necessarily limiting yourself to like one specific area, I think is, is probably going to end up being extremely invaluable. Um, Yeah. And then the only other thing I'd say is to just make sure that you're having fun. Um, because I think, for example, and this is kind of a more pandemic related thing, um, but for me, especially in fourth year, I was so wrapped up in my courses in NSOC and then, you know, trying to navigate what I'm going to be doing that my next step that I never really got to have the proper goodbye to the whole experience that I had from undergrad. And the pandemic definitely got in the way of it. But I remember distinctly, it was a week before everything closed down that I sort of had realized that you know, my time here is kind of coming to a close and all this stuff. And um, I wanted to sort of do things one last time and sort of, I don't know, do random things like study in the library one last time or like studying in the pit when everyone is being too loud one last time and all that type of stuff. Mm. Um, And I think I just never really got the opportunity to do that. And so I think, you know, not to sound old and get off my lawn, but the five (laughs) years or four years or however many years you end up having in your degree will end up passing by a lot faster than you think. And so I think trying the best to, you know, make the most out of the experiences that you have, like make the most out of the interactions that you have, especially the people, um, you know, trying to make those connections, not even from like like a career perspective just like the genuine connections that you make with people um, are going to be invaluable and again like the people that I've met in undergrad are some of my closest friends to date and I've I've held on to those relationships so strongly and so I think just yeah trying to see how you can enjoy the time that you have here Um, and I think sometimes just kind of taking a step back and acknowledging that um, 
it's okay to sort of just be grateful for the things that you have instead of kind of being go, go, go all the time, which I think is not something that not a lot of people do. I think a lot of us are so focused on, okay, I have to, you know, I've like finished one assignment, like I got to do the next, or I, you know, I have to, I finished work, I have to go on to the next thing. Um, and I think sometimes maybe just taking a step back and being like, you know what, enjoy what you're having right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think our last guest, Mikhail, said this too, where he basically said, and undergrad is honestly the best time to do everything that you just said, like to step out your comfort zone to, you know, go and like, find out what you're curious about and to have fun. Like four years, it's probably going to be the time where you grow the most. So mm-hmm. take advantage of that. And yeah. It's funny that it's like the two alumni who are providing that perspective. I think like <laughs> maybe there's yes. some leftover regret there. <laughs> but but I do think it's true. And I think, yeah. you know, a lot of people may may hear this and maybe like, yeah, okay, whatever. But I think, you know, the more you sort of like try to actually take a step back and, and look at it objectively, you'll sort of realize that there's a lot to to engage with and a lot to be grateful for in these things that mm-hmm. you do. So it's important to not take it for granted, I think is the main thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's really great. So quick recap, the three things you said were um, like expand beyond the things characterized as academics and undergrad. The second thing was continue to be curious and question constantly and be basically be a problem solver everywhere you can in life, not just work. Um, And finally, work mindfully and enjoy the company of your loved ones. Absolutely. So. You summarized it much better than I did. I was just <laughs> talking. <laughs> no, this is great. Yeah, I mean, you you provided a really good explanation. I think we really appreciate the storytelling that you had in there. So, um, one last thing, Laura. If you know a student is like re- resonates with something you talked about, and maybe they want to get in contact with you, um, how might they be be able to reach you? Yeah, so you can basically contact me on any social media except for TikTok because I am old and don't have TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm Laura Berniaga on basically everything. So if you'd like to shoot me a message on Facebook, if anybody still uses Facebook um, or LinkedIn or Instagram as well, like my username is Laura Berniaga, things like that, like feel free to reach out. Um, I personally would love to engage in more conversations when it comes to these things. And um, I think the best thing that we as alumni and as people who are graduating or just even as like upper years can do is sort of pass forward the knowledge and the advice and the things that we've we've learned along the way um so and if anybody wants to reach out feel free to i am more than happy to sort of engage in this conversation so that's awesome so there's your cue everybody um continue the conversation uh we'll we'll attach links in the description for um anybody who's interested uh this has been laura berniaga on 1% Inspiration. Thanks for listening. Hi, Jennifer here. Thank you for listening to this episode of 1% Inspiration. Please follow us to stay updated with new episodes and find more ways to connect with us on our Simplecast website at 1-inspiration.simplecast.com in our summary. On our website, you can suggest a guest who you want us to talk to, find our social media accounts, and sign up to stay in touch to receive research resources and updates. Stay safe and stay tuned for the next episode.